G G T M C Live in for you fresh air. Big Willie and the Samurai are at your service, breaking films down and turning them around, giving recommendations that are always on point. Visit ggtmc.com for more information. The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to the trash since 1977. say good afternoon so you can only use this in the afternoon uh folks uh welcome to episode 33 of dude and a monkey thank you very much for uh downloading and listening uh my name is ian laurie and as always i am joined by stop bitches stop bitches himself um so uh myself and stop bitches uh are going to be tackling uh Nostalgia documentary thing, which is now available on uh, iTunes in the UK as well as the US. Uh, Rewind this, which also played at Fryfest. Uh, we'll also be getting into some one old, one new. Uh, I believe we've got a discussion point from a long time listener to get into. And uh, we're going to be starting. Now, I haven't told Mark this, but uh, I've come up with a name for our marathon. Oh, nice. Okay, so we are going to be starting the. George A. Romano Zombies Marathon. <laughs> I like it. Um, so, um, uh, Mark and I had a discussion yesterday, and uh, we haven't trailered it on the uh, the podcast at all, but never mind. Uh, you know, with Halloween um, fast up and coming, uh, we thought we'd take a look at the films with George A. Romero, but not the zombie films, because he has done a fair few non-zombie films, mm. um, most of which, if not all of them, I've never seen before personally, so uh, I'm looking forward to getting into it. So we'll start off later on with the first part in uh, the George A. Romare No Zombies Marathon with uh, The Crazies. So um, to uh, to get into it, oh, well, no, actually, no, uh, dudeandamonkey at gmail.com, at dudefoss, at Ian Loring, at dudeandamonkey, reviews on iTunes, mucho, mucho appreciato, um, a- anything else? Uh, nothing else to add on, on my end, my good man. Yeah, there we go then, so uh, let's get into it with uh, a bit of trailers, so uh, Mark, what trailers have you consumed with your eye holes this week? I've consumed a whopping two trailers this Sweet. week. Sweet. Um, a whole two, and one of them gives away nothing of the film whatsoever. The first nice. one was um, 
the trailer for the upcoming um, James Franco directed film, Child of God, oh, yeah. um, which is playing at Venice. Uh, I believe it played last night, I think. Yes. Uh, I've seen nothing about uh, how it was received. Uh, written by um, James Franco, uh, based on a story by Cormac McCarthy. Uh, and the trailer gives away nothing because it essentially is words and a close up of a man's face. Sweet. Uh, but still very interested. Um, Franco is an intelligent and interesting guy as a director and as a, a filmmaker. He seems to want to be more of a comedic actor and do that kind of bit and crop up as bit parts in more serious films. But as a director, he, he seems very much like he wants to go down his own path with that. Um, and Clark McCarthy is a, an incredible writer. So very much looking forward to that. And the other trailer that I, I watched was the uh, Dallas Buyers Club trailer, um, which should just be called the Give Them McConaughey an Oscar Now trailer. Um, it, it's, it, it's strange how, how many so many people have kind of come out and said, oh, you know, McConaughey is having this... And McConaughey is kind of... He's, he's helped it along himself, uh, that McConaughey thing that's, that's going on at the moment. And people say, oh, you know, well, look at him. You know, he, he can actually act. It's like, well... If you go back to when he started, um, you know, he, he actually did produce quite a few great performances in things like um, Dazed and Confused, he's very funny, in, but you've got things like A Time to Kill and Lone Star, and he, he did a lot before he started doing the um, the rom-coms and the leaning stuff, um, but he is on on a roll at the moment with things like Lincoln Lawyer and Mud and you know, Bernie to an extent, Killer Joe, Magic Mike... Paperboy, and you've got the Wolf of Wall Street out later on. Uh, but the trailer for this does look very, very good, and very much like this is McConaughey again throwing himself into a role, and in, in, I think enjoying being an actor again. Um, one of the films that I'm going to uh, that I watched um, early this week, uh, and I, I'm not going to talk about it in um, one over one new later on because I've got a different film I'll talk about but I watched Fool's Gold uh, earlier in the week because oh, uh, it was on TV yeah. and I was watching it going all the way through it saying this is a terrible film and it is a terrible film it's not good in any way but the only reason why I'm still watching it and th that wasn't the first time I've watched it either so I don't even have that as an excuse but what, the reason why I was watching it is because Matthew McConaughey is a charismatic and an enjoyable guy to watch when you couple that with good roles and, you know, a bit more depth, he still maintains that charisma, but also has the outlying bit of everything around him working as well. And I think the Dallas Buyers Club looks, looks like it, it has the potential to be a very, very good film. Totally. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I also saw the trailer for this. Um I mean, it, yeah, the best actor race is going to be interesting this year, and frankly, it will be more interesting. Um, it, I mean, if Mandela did die, uh, I, you know, I, I, I think that Idris Elba could. Frankly, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to cheapen Mandela's death yeah. or anything like that. Please don't get me wrong, folks, but. Um, in, in terms of the Oscar race, um, I, I, I think it would give yeah, him it, a it lot It could more. draw a lot more focus onto that performance. Yes, yeah, that, that's a very good way of putting it. Um, I think Juwetel Ejiofor, uh, like with all the stuff that's coming out about 12 Years a Slave, um, mm -hmm. 
I, I, I think he could be. I mean, the, the thing is, you've got Matthew McConaughey, Juicel Ejiofor, and Idris Elba, and Leonardo DiCaprio, potentially. You know, I mean, like, you've got four guys who are pretty, they're so hot right now, actors. Mm. Two of whom are, like, pretty hot up-and-comers, and two of whom are long-established actors who it kind of feels like it's starting to just be their time. Yeah, there, there is a feeling very much, I think, with with DiCaprio that it's getting very close to his time. It, he's not being awarded one when he, he maybe should have been by now. And it is just his time. But then again, I could see the, the sway going towards McConaughey. I know we're talking Oscar talk months before it starts and before we even see the film. Everybody else does. But everybody else does, so fuck it. Um, but I could see you know the Oscars saying, well, do you know what? DiCaprio will probably do something as good, if not better, than Wolf. Whereas, you know, McConaughey might not. Let's also think, though, apparently Matthew McConaughey has a very small role in Wolf of Wall Street, but from early buzz is that he kind of steals it. Yeah. So, supporting actor. Well, DiCaprio has said that very much, hasn't he? That that McConaughey just basically came in and just blew everything up and was just electric all the time. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, that, that, there you go then. So, I mean, I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but, I mean, like, we're only just getting into the season now, frankly. I am so. really fucking pumped for this, <laughs> for the the next few months. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's yeah. some incredible films coming out. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it really does feel like one of the best awards seasons in a long time. There's, there's gritty, sort of real, kind of like films where you're going, I'm really, really fucking looking forward to seeing that. Whereas last year it was a little bit, there's a lot of very good movies, but a lot of movies where you're going, well, yeah, that'll be good. And, but they were very wordy pictures. Things like Lincoln and, um, shit, my brain's turning off. The, the one with the tiger. Oh, Life of Pi. That's the one, Life of Pi. Things like that where you're going, yeah, they're going to be good. But I can't say I was sat here going, fuck, I can't wait to see that. Whereas I am with things like Wolf of Wall Street, Dallas Buyers Club, 12 Years of Slade, and things like that. I'm really just chomping at the bit to see them. Whereas last year felt a little bit... There was there were films, Django and stuff like that, that I was going, yes, for. But there was also a lot of stuff saying, yeah, that'll be yeah. very good. But... I mean, the whole thing boils down to the Lincoln thing. Lincoln's an incredible movie. It's a very good movie. Um, but it, it is also... It, it feels as long as it is. And it's, it's a slog to watch. Very good as it is. But I've seen it once. And it'll be a long time before I watch it again. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things about the Oscar season this year is the fact that it's not a lot of, like, really massively established names. Mm. I mean, it, 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 like, in terms of directors, I mean, yes, you've got Scorsese, but aside from that, I mean, David O. Russell, he's starting to become more established, but he still feels very, very indie. You know, yeah. Like, he, he still feels like he's not in that crew. Yeah, uh, very much so, yeah. And, I mean, like, you've got, you've got Steve McQueen, um... Uh, Alfonso Cuaron, um, who again, you know, he's been around for ages, doesn't really feel like he's in in the establishment just yet. Even though I think Gravity might do that for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, it's, I mean, I, I suppose you've got Ron Howard, but then Rush looks like it's going to be more commercial than awardsy. 
yeah, Rush looks like it, it, it could be one of those that it, it, it does well. It, you know, everything's very competent and everything's very good, but it just it it it, it just simply doesn't tick those boxes. We'll say not going to say it's not good enough, but mm. that it just doesn't hit those notes that takes it to to that place. Yeah, yeah, quite. Even though, I mean, like, even though apparently Philomena's very good, and who knew Steve Coogan writing a film and it turns out to be a potential Oscar botherer. Um, so, I mean, it, 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 uh, it's the first LFF I'm not going to be going to in about three years, and it, it's by far the one I'd be looking forward to most, frankly. Mm. It's, um, it, we haven't it, even mentioned Captain Phillips yet. Well, yeah, I mean that that yeah, quite right, and I mean like saving Mr. Banks might even be might mm. might be of interest too, frankly. So I don't know. There's a lot of stuff, but um, there's, there's, there is a lot going on. But yes, let's um, that, let's uh, yeah. So uh, uh, trailers. Um, sorry, I yeah, got a bit off um, off topic there. So yeah, Dallas Fires Club. Well, we've already covered that. I watched the trailer for Plus One, which I know you stopped watching after thirty seconds. I'm oh. I'm actually confused about what it is, but you know we'll we'll see. Um, I watched the trailer for Parkland that you talked about last week. Uh, reviews coming out of Venice. It's got panned. Yeah, say yeah, which I'm not <laughs> surprised about to be honest. It looks like it just wants to be taken so fucking seriously. I like the trailer. I uh, I, 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 I said last week the film might be fucking awful, but the trailer did get me. But then again, I like Zephyr. There you go, and um. Uh, lastly, I watched the trailer for Divergent, which uh, the wife's looking forward to. She likes the books, um, so there's that. <laughs> and that's it for trailers. So um, let's have a clip from uh, or the trailer. Who knows? Of uh, rewind this, and we will get into it. Changed our relationship with television. VHS came out, and the rewind button was introduced. That was pretty much revolutionary for filmmakers. There were not the economic constraints that were associated with image making before. That's revolutionary. Video preservation is the nightmare in the closet that no one is talking about. We're going to have such a great, great statistic of loss. There's films where the filmmaker doesn't have any other materials. So essentially, until somebody finds a negative, finds a print, the best source in the world is a VHS. Okay, so that was a clip from the trailer for Rewind This, or, or a clip from Rewind This, I don't know yet, damn it. Uh, so this is out on UK and US iTunes. I basically had uh, the four ninety nine spare in uh, gift vouchers on my US iTunes account, so I thought, why not? So uh, I bought it, uh, well, I rented it, and uh, this also played at Fryfest. Uh, it is a documentary about VHS, uh, about VHS collectors, people who made films on VHS, people who still make films on VHS, and how VHS seems to have had a lasting impact. Uh, Mark, what did you think of Rewind This? Well, to start off, what, what I'll say is that I, this was going to be the only reason, not the only reason, the only film reason I was going to go to Fright Fest this year. The other reason being I wanted to catch up with people and unfortunately it didn't work out, but this was the one film that I was definitely going to see. Uh, but I didn't. Um, also as well, I, I very much come from the VHS generation. I remember a lot of the things they were talking about within this. Um, we had, I still remember where... The, you know, my first VHS store was, and it's called Max's Videos, and it's now Frankie and Benny's. 
I also remember the fact that that was the first VHS store I remember. But my VHS store, the VHS store that I used to cycle to on a Friday night and a Saturday night, and rent out a couple of videos to take home and watch, um, was called Take One Video, and that's now a British Heart Foundation charity shop. Um, and I remember going there, and the thing is, we did have a, a blockbuster, or at the time it was Ritz Video, up the road, oh, about the yeah, same distance right. away. But it was more money to rent from there, and because they were a corporate-owned company, not just some guy, they didn't wouldn't allow me to rent 18 movies because my dad had told them it was okay, whereas Take One Video would. My dad had said, yeah, he's all right to rent whatever. But kind of on a side said, just don't rent him anything like, that has too much sex in it. So I could go in and rent whatever I wanted. Um, and as well, it was a, quite a big shop. So you had all this space, you had all these things. And I remember going in and always renting one new and one that I'd seen dozens of times. Um, and I had also had a system of renting one that I could tell my parents I was watching and renting another one that I maybe wouldn't tell my parents because I wouldn't, they wouldn't agree with it. Uh, and this was also, it comes a part of this um, in Rewind Disc where it talks about tape trading. I actually got into tape trading because of a guy who worked behind the counter there would give me stuff, you know, under the counter stuff, like copies of the first time I saw Suspiria and Deep Red and things like that. Where like, oh, try this out, you'll like this. And I'd record them myself and then distribute them out and sell them around school as a little side business. Nice. Um, so I very much come from this. So the nostalgia aspects of it uh, hit me quite strong. Um, and I enjoyed that. And I, I don't collect VHS, but I did used to collect VHS. I would collect them again, but I simply don't have space to collect them anymore. Um, it is something that I keep contemplating getting back into, but I get the feeling if I got back into it, it, it would consume me too much. So I, I keep resisting at the moment. I have no doubt that at some point I will go, fuck it, I'm doing it. <laughs> and I'll go out and buy a load. Uh, I still have two VHS players. And that is after I gave uh, Noel one. Wow. <laughs> um, so, all of that aspect I really liked. I really liked about the documentary. I do have a few which will come to you, but I'll, I'll, I'll put them out there, uh, quibbles about it that I thought didn't work. It, it seemed to fall between being a documentary about the obsessiveness of collectors and people who still want to celebrate VHS, a history of VHS, and a history of films on VHS. And it kind of, it, it does one of those things very well with the, the collector's aspect, but the other two felt a little bit kind of shoehorned into it and a little bit like they weren't done enough, and the bits that were covered were the bits that maybe interested the director more than other bits, but I'm sure we'll come into that as we as we go on. I yeah, I I, I think that's interesting actually. I um you know VHS is a really really rich and varied history. You know um the um there there are many many stories that I think could be told about about VHS. Um you know and and how how it got started, how it it kind of it got over the beta kind of hump and, and kind of went on. Um, and I think for a documentary that's only like 90 minutes long, I agree. I think that it focuses too much on things that 
I would maybe be of interest. I'd, I'd be really in- intrigued to see what a hardcore VHS collector thinks of this. Because I think there are things in here which aren't really that interesting. And I, I mean, I don't have that much interest in VHS, frankly. But I do have a big interest in film. And I have an interest in film history. And the historical stuff about VHS I found interesting. I liked the... Um, And I mean, I liked the anecdotal stuff, like the one bit about how you could tell when someone had watched something over and over by the fact that Mm. the tracking went all shitty. I really liked that idea and the whole kind of like going to the end of the tape to see what someone had recorded over and getting like a little (laughs) history of what they'd been recording. That that is that stuff is interesting. I don't think that having a good 10 minutes on a guy who makes shitty, shitty looking VHS like films today in his Mm. backyard and getting some sort of cult status when the cult status is really because people want to laugh at him. Yeah, that, uh, that felt a little bit, a little bit, let's put fun at the idiot. Yeah, that, um, I'm not saying the director meant that. Maybe the director, you know, the director has clearly met him and is clearly infused by the fact that this guy is is still championing it and he still uses VHS. But looking back over that and having such a large portion of that in there, it's great that this guy loves it. But there must be a look of that. Of there is a certain level of. Of like you got, like you get with vinyl, um, there is a certain level of um, hipster douchebaggery going on with this current VHS revival. Um, there are the ones who, and we we know a few of them, uh, people like Noel and uh, the VHS they are like. No, 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 no. They're the, they're the guys who are collecting VHS. It means a yeah, lot to yeah, them. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Then you've got like certain people who. Are doing it because it's currently cool to do VHS. I've got two words for you. Uh, yeah, you're going to say you're going to say them, aren't you? Go on. Video alchemist. Alchemist. Yeah, and that guy, that guy there, is the is the VHS hipster douchebag. You know, he's the oh look look at my retro big glasses and look how what is it I am. You know, and you know we do. You know, I I, I don't collect VHS. I collect old. Um, safety instruction VHSs. It's like, oh, fuck off. Yeah, you're, not, you're not into it for the movies or anything like that. You're, or, or even the format. You're into it because it's something cool. I mean, I... The thing is, I laughed equally, frankly, at the at Dormath, or whatever his name was. But... Yeah. But I understand why he was featured, because that guy has got an insanely obsessive compulsion to collect VHS and to divide VHS into specific areas. And, I mean, like, I think... I, 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 you know, I think that the director wanted to celebrate that guy. I mean, like, he's not making fun of that guy. Unfortunately, that guy kind of makes fun of that guy. But then again, I I, I think that that Dormas guy, I could quite easily spend two or three hours having a beer and looking around that guy's attic and pulling out videos and going, oh, fucking holy shit. And a whole new video up and he'd be like, that's amazing. I'd be like, yeah. 
I, I could quite easily spend all that time with that. There was other people in it where I would say I'd spend five minutes with them and go, I, I, I I'm very bored of you right now. I, yeah, I, I, I think that's that's absolutely fair enough. I mean, I mean, getting into the documentary itself, I mean, it just, I, I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it, and I thought it was worth it was worth ninety minutes of my time. But it's. I, w- I do wish it focused on other stuff. And this might be a rather um, uh, subjective thing, frankly. But I was interested in the rise of VHS and, um, and, and, and the battle with Beta and the kind of the introducing the concept of sell-through at a high price and then, oh, holy shit, well, what if we do it at a low price? And I mean, I think one of the heroes of the documentary is Frank Henenlotter. Oh, without question, he's, he is without question the best talking head. He seems to... The fact that he's sat in his apartment and he's, mm. he mentions that it is his apartment and he's still got BHSs behind him. Yeah, I mean, that he... I mean, uh, I mean... And I mean, some of the stuff he comes out comes out with. I mean, I, I'll say I disagree with his point on Criterion covers. I I agree with him to an extent. It, it's the thing is his. I mean, Christ, this is the man who made uh, Frankenhooker and Basket Case. He is into a specific type of film. Mm. Um, but I mean, Christ, if we're getting off on this tangent for a second, uh, I mean, the artwork for the Royal Tenenbaums, I'm just looking up at my criterions, the artwork for Kronos, the, the cover for the blowout criterion. Oh, the, the, the majority of Criterion collections. Uh, I think part of it, though, it was his his. His part of his point was kind of tongue in cheek with the you know go fuck yourself criteria. Yeah, sure. That was a tongue in cheek moment. It was a it was a wink moment. Um, but I think what he's kind of saying is that you know I do like you know I'm looking at some of the Criterion things now. Some of them are gorgeous. Some of them are a little bit fuck off. <laughs> you know, just sometimes I you know I, you know for instance. The Devil's Backbone Criterion that's coming out is beautiful. Yeah, that's a lovely Gorgeous. Um, but there are some of them where, where, you know, there's certain films don't need that. Like, for instance, the Mondo cover for The Last Stand that we didn't get in this country for some reason is incredible. Yes, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And you could never do a Criterion for that. But the same amount of, of thought and idea and artistic um, endeavor has gone into creating that Mondo cover for the Last Stand, as has gone into any amount of the the Criterion's. Yet the Criterion's are considered a beautiful piece of art, and that's the, considered to be a cover. And I think the overlying point of that is is there used to be an artwork put into VHS that isn't put into DVD and Blu-ray. It is by Criterion, so I agree with what you're saying or what I'm not saying there, but. For God's sake, can you look at the you look at go look at the shitty fucking Blu-ray covers we get in this country especially that are just generic fucking three heads on a thing, and then you look at it in other countries. Germany always get fucking cool covers, but the UK and the US tend to get really shitty covers, and you didn't tend to get as many shitty VHS covers until it started becoming the big studio titles. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I, well, absolutely, but I mean, like that, 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 that's 
then again, I mean, like, I don't know, people have been saying that for ages. I mean, like about film posters as well. I mean, you had in the mid, uh, in the late nineties when, uh, you know, the post scream horror films, and it was all, it was just like the headshots oh. of like the five main cover, the, the stars, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Background. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it, it, it I mean, it, it that's, I, 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 that just kind of, it, it, that, that's an argument that could be, that, that, that could have been had for years now. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, I mean, Henenlot is great, and I mean, I, I think Atom Agoyan with the kind of the more technical stuff. I mean, he, I think he comes out with with a great amount of stuff as well. But I mean, it, it's particularly that bloke, the the, the whatever he's called. That I mean, just why did they? Why did they interview him? I, I mean, I, 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 his point when he's like saying, you know, if you just say, oh, I don't have the budget, or I don't have the script, fuck it, just pick up a camera. I mean, that's kind of inspirational. But if that was coming from Atena Goyen or Frank Henenlotter, I'd find that inspirational. Mm. Coming from that guy, I'm just like, all right, just go away. Yeah, I, it, it, it's, it, it did seem, I mean, I, I took, um, I felt a little bit um, kind of like, thrown the wrong way by the fact that we're going through the history of VHS and the history of VHS is that you say it's a very fascinating history and I think that definitely um, Josh Hunter wants to look at the history of VHS and a big part of the history of VHS was the the adult movie industry they they picked up on VHS a lot quicker than the studios did the same as they picked up on um, download a lot quicker and you know somebody makes the comment of you know, if you want to see what's going to be the next big thing in media, look at what the porn industry is doing. Yeah. Because they'll pick up on it before anybody else. But it does seem like there's a point where we go from it being about VHS and then all of a sudden we just get a lot of porn, porn for about four or five minutes with them not actually talking that much about porn. I felt a little bit like, right, so I'm seeing porn now. I, I get why it's there, but I didn't get enough history before, and I, I didn't get enough history afterwards. I think I, that I, I, there's, I, there's too much toe dipping of, of yeah. the history of VHS, and then it, it slings back to the, the obsessiveness of collecting. And it, it, it feels like it, it fell in between both of those things, but didn't give me enough of the history thing to justify any of it. Its structure is all over the place, yeah. And I mean, I, I think with with the porn thing as well... I would have to wonder how many, like, fans of VHS, like, people who know their shit about VHS, even know what those films are and who those, who those directors are. Um, I mean, I, 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 absolutely, I mean, like, yeah, porn won the, um, won the VHS, uh, kind of, um, uh, race. I mean, I, I think that's a valid point. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it, it, it kind of, again, kind of slots into my thinking that I, I mean like the director's obviously a huge VHS fan and I'm not going to argue that but I wonder if the, the if the majority of VHS fans are people who did just want tits and gore and and violence I mean and maybe maybe they were but it just it's weird that so many directors seem to think that so many film fans are all about that. I mean, this is this is a film that I'm I'm sure went down incredibly well at Fright Fest. Because it's got it's got that it's got the celebratory, you know, geeks banding together kind of thing, along with the 
the, the porn shots, along with the violence, you know, and, and the, the kind of the reminiscing about violence and sex and all that kind of thing. And it fits into that mould well. But then it's also one of those film Fright Fest type films where I imagine will be for absolutely no one else. Mm. You know, I, I, it's, I mean, frankly, I, 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 I mean this hand on heart. I, I, I think that, you know, with Noel's book, I, I, I think Noel's uh, Adventures in VHS will be more about the, the, the kind of the, the personal experiences of watching VHS. And it's not going to be remember that when that person's head blew up, remember the like the amount of porn, like, you know, the, 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 you know the, the sex scenes that are in this film. I think there's there's a fun Noel's, Noel's element. Book, of that. It is it, very much about his personal journey through VHS. I, yeah, um, and I wish, in a way, I wish this was more personal and not yeah, so cursory. It, it does. It, I, I think, I don't know, it's, the thing is, is I, I don't want to seem like we're, we're, we're having a go at this film because I did enjoy it and there was great bits. For instance, the, the reveling in the, you know, the Bubba Smith thing. Yeah. Um, I've seen that, 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 that tape. Um, and it is funny, and I have laughed at it, and I've talked to people on Twitter about it, about the, you know, the, the, I love you bit. And that is, is one of those things where VHS collectors do look out for that tape solely because, I think, because of that bit. And there are, I, lo- I loved those collector bits. I love seeing people who have these, you know, no matter how fucking crazy the people seem, who have these rooms where they've got all of the videos, it, Draw me a fucking distraction, people who had them stacked on a fucking side, because I hate that. But, anyway... I uh, loved I loved the front on, the top of the tape. Um, like, the the, 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 kind of, yeah, the top of the tape being front on, so you've got, like, so you could stack up a lot, mm. uh, and have quite a lot of, uh, quite, uh, you know, and have a lot of room to store a lot, you've just got to have the deep shelf. Yeah, things like that I really liked, and I really liked the start as well when he's talking about the two tape Titanic, and then sees it like two or three times. Yes, yeah, it's stuff like that that I like. It's that obsession of spot collectors. Um, I, I, I could done in this film. I could have done without the, the history tidbits um, because I think there's another film there that could deal with the history of VHS. Yeah, I liked the, the collectorial aspect of it. Like I said, I don't collect VHS. I used to collect VHS uh, when VHS was more readily available, but I, I still collect... But the the bit that it went at the end, and it starts off about essentially the death of physical media. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I will still fucking cling on to physical media. Uh, I accept the fact that physical media is is dying, and it suits the studios very much that physical media is is dying off. Um, it, will, it will never stop within the next... 20, 30 years, you know, in, in 15 or 20 years, yes, you, you will probably, there probably will be little to no physical media, it will all be piped in, but it's not going to stop in five years, the simple fact is that Christmas and birthdays will still exist, people will still want to give a physical thing to somebody, and also, yes, DVD and Blu-ray sales have gone down, you know, by a considerable amount, but they still make a lot of money. They just don't make as much money as they used to make. You know, people said ten years ago, oh, in five years you won't be able to buy a CD anymore. 
you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't buy CDs anymore. Um, the generation below me and the generation below that don't buy CDs anymore. The generation above me, four or five years older than me, they probably don't buy CDs anymore. But my dad does. Um, yeah, my, my mum does. Uncle yeah. does. People like that do. And my dad, hopefully, has got another 20 years left in it. And he'll keep buying CDs because they'll still be available because people like him will still buy them. Yeah. And he wouldn't buy me a download voucher for Christmas, but he'll buy me a Blu-ray. Yeah. And it, it, that's what will happen. And I, it, people who say, oh, yeah, but it's dying, it's dead off. I'm like, fine, all right, for you, for you, if you want to accept that it's died off, and you don't want to collect anymore. You don't want to buy it anymore. You don't want to buy CDs. You don't want to buy films. You don't want to buy books. Fine. That's fine. But I do. I I don't care that I'm buying a steelbook of Commando for fourteen ninety nine when I can just watch it on Netflix. For the reason being that I like owning that. For the same reason that so many of the collectors in this movie don't watch... 50% of the tapes that they buy. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't collect art. I never will. But I can sit and I can look at my DVD and my Blu-ray collection for hours as if it were art. And <laughs> that is, the, that is the, collect, the, the collector aspect of this movie that I identified with and that I, that I loved and I really, really enjoyed. And that totally made up for the bits that I didn't think were bad. That I just... That I... I personally didn't like and I felt were a little bit shoehorned in or maybe misplaced within this movie. They're the bits that didn't work for me. I don't think they were badly done. They just didn't work for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... The thing is, I mean, it's an incredibly subjective film. But, I mean, like, if I, if I, was, I was just thinking that, I mean, like, I compare this in my head to a documentary like Side by Side, uh, the Keanu Reeves fronted documentary from last year. And, I mean, that had, that had some sort of debate going on in it. You know, there, there was, there, there was some sort of area of conflict within in it, within it. Um, you know, I mean, like, there, there, there's kind of, I, yeah, I mean, I was about to say it's like heroes and villains, but there are there aren't really. It's just debating where, which are more relevant and whether film has a place in an increasingly digital era. I think the problem with rewind this for me is that it really strictly is a fans only proposition, mm. and I think there's nothing wrong with that. No, but personally, it it. Like I, I enjoyed watching it, but it's not one I can really, really, really get behind. It's it's not a documentary I uh, about film that I can celebrate, and it's almost because it's not really about film. It's, it's not about film. It, it's about it is strictly about VHS. I think yeah, I think that's that's entirely um, entirely accurate. This this isn't a, a history of film focusing on VHS film. It, it's it's a celebration of VHS film. And they're the bits that, that, that I really I really liked um, of it. You know, the there were certain bits I, I I was looking at these these video stores that are still open and looking yeah. there going, geez, you know, I I'd, I'd like to visit these places. It's amazing that these places are still open because 
let's be honest, on a, on a wide scale, uh, the the video rental DVD rental, no matter what, is dead. Yeah, it's yeah, gone. Yeah. Netflix, love film, have killed it. Video on demand is 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 the future. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think it's ironic that like the primary way of watching rewind this at the moment is VOD. It is, yeah. And uh, what I'll add as well is, is um, I uh, rented it on my iPhone, and then the minute I pressed rent and started to download it, I was like, oh, shit, I've just realised if I rent this on my iPhone, I get to watch it on my iPhone. Shit, can you not just, like... You can still watch it on your PC or Mac, surely. Nope. Really? Nope, can't transfer it. Really? It on the device you watch, you get it on, unless you buy the cable to hook it up to your TV, which I don't have. Uh, if, you, wow. if you download it on your laptop, you can transfer it to your uh, iPod, but you can't transfer it from your iPod if you've rented it to your laptop. That's really fucking weird. That's really... Uh, uh, and uh, what I'll add is I asked this question, just put it out there um, on the Apple, one of the Apple forums. I'm just going to go a little bit off tangent here for a second, so I do apologise. I said don't, I'm still going to do it. Um, it I, I did actually put it on one of the Apple forums saying, is there a way for me to transfer a rented purchase of my iPhone onto my laptop, right? Um, and I got quickly a few people very nicely said, oh, unfortunately... Not, but you can get blah and blah cable, or you can you can stream it to your Apple TV. I thought, right, well, I don't really want to get Apple TV at the moment. I don't know I've got about a cable. I'll quite happily just, I will watch it on my iPhone. You know, there's nothing cinematic about this film. It's a documentary. Sure. I can afford to watch that. And fucking hell, it's a documentary about VHS, which is shit quality than my iPhone, right? Fine, fair enough. And then I started getting, because I just put, all I put was, was all right, thanks for the response, guys. Um, Seems a bit um, funny of Apple to make it non-transferable. And I got loads of abuse off Appleite saying, <laughs> oh, it's Apple's fault that you you made a dumbass move and downloaded it on your iPod. Well, no, you just expect it. So I was like, <laughs> at what point did I blame Apple? You said that Apple, that you should be able to do it. So, yes, you should be able to do it. So actually, yes, it is Apple's problem. Well, you're the person who went on your iPod. It's like, for a start off, I went on my iPhone, not my iPod, if we're going to be pedantic cunts about this. <laughs> and then because I used the C word, I got banned from Apple's forums. <laughs> so people could attack me uh, for, for not even criticising Apple, but people could attack me for basically saying, that's a bit, you know, shitty. I've just paid 4 99 to read this. Uh, you know, I, I, being honest, I could have downloaded this not doing that and played it on my iPhone, my TV, yeah. my... What is it? But I didn't. I don't want to because, you know, this sort of, sort of thing, I want to support this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. You know, because this is a documentary made by a guy who loves film, who loves VHS, and I'm guessing a shitload of like, personal work and a shitload of personal money has gone into this. And whether I like it or I don't, and I very much do, you know, I want to support that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same way is, let's say when Noel writes his book, if he says, here, here's a free copy, I'd say, you, I'm buying one. It's that thing. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I could have downloaded it there, but no, pay my phone 99 and all I can do is watch it on my iPhone. Yeah, yeah. 
And I had it for 29 days, right? If I start watching it... you got 24 hours. I've got 48 now, it is. Oh, you fucking US iTunes. I had 24 hours. Mm. So, yeah, I just thought that was a little bit shitty. But apparently, apparently, according to, to, to the fucking militant Apple fans, I'm a cunt. That's pretty funny. That's, yeah, no. Um, anyway, I, 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 I think we're done with Rewind this, aren't we? Yeah, it, it's, it's, for me, it's definitely not shit. Um, I think if you're... If you're not from the VHS um, generation, uh, it might be too much. It might lack the nostalgia that it does, that it, that, it, 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 that it lives off. Because you're not going to remember walking around and picking up these covers. You're not going to remember a time when, you know, you hadn't seen a trailer for something because the internet didn't exist. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, um, I mean, I'm a couple of years younger than yourself. I mean, but I, I very much remember VHS. I remember copying VHSs. I remember um, paying for Film Four when it used to be a pay channel and uh, having a, a long play tape and um, uh, taping what was it? Uh, Texas Chainsaw Two, Inferno, and some uh, something else. Um, it was something Japanese, but I can't remember what. And oh, just... I, I used to make a fortune, a fortune, um, renting um, manga tapes uh, from, not from a video rental store, from, you know, Game Station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game Station used to be a little, um, a little game exchange shop in York. It started out as just a little, a little shop that I got. Oh, really? Tiny. Yeah. And that's where Game Station started. And it was on a little street called Juliet in York. And I used to go in there, and he used to trade games. And there was uh, Nintendo on one side, Sega on the other side. Along the front of the counter, he had manga videos. Yeah. And you could rent them for a pound. And I used to rent them, record them, and I could fit on, like, a long play, like, three of them on. Uh, and then I'd go to school and sell them. And I made a fortune on a Rutsuka Doji. Because, essentially, it was technical form. Yeah, 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 okay. And uh, I must have sold... 30 or 40 tapes at a five or a pop of a Rutsuka Doji at school. That's crazy. Good for you, man. I, 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 yeah, I, I just didn't have that kind of community in my school. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, so, I mean, like, I, you know, I was of the VHS era. I mean, like, I, I, I got into, like, I mean, I got, like, more into film when DVD came along. I mean, Christ, I remember I rented a DVD player from uh, Radio Rentals for, like, 20 quid a month. <laughs> Uh, but it was it was a it was a Samsung something or other seven oh nine, and I could make it um, multi-region using a, a one for all remote. Yeah. So I bo- I borrowed a one for all remote off a friend of mine, and I reprogrammed yeah. it, and I got that two disc DVD edition of Fight Club. Oh, I remember the one. Because um, in the because the US version was the uncut version because originally yeah. uh, Fight Club was cut in the UK and then the DVD and uh, the DVD of Fight Club when it came out only had the one commentary track on it, it was the director and actors one yeah. uh, and the, the the one I had was the uncut one and it had all four commentaries on it. Yeah, I, I had that. I, my, my first DVD player was gold. It was gold. Oh, nice! And it, it was a pioneer one and it was yeah. huge. It was absolutely massive. It was from Woolworths. And it was £185. 
uh, and I bought it in 1999. Um, and I got that, and you could you could make it region two, so reach multi region if you held down the eject button. Um, and pressed and held down the player button. It brought up an alternative menu, and you could flick between regions on it. Oh, you lucky bastard! And I... you, you could do that. And but I, I remember I, I at one point the only um, DVDs I had were American History X, Snake Eyes, A Bug's Life, Pleasantville, and Taxi Driver. Blimey! For a good sort of three or four months, they were the only DVDs I had. The uh, oh god, the I I remember the first DVDs I got it was the day after I got this DVD player in a two for thirty pound sale yep. in Virgin. I cannot believe that used to be. I mean, like uh, you know, like all these things. I mean, like that. I, I Christ, my my first Blu-rays I think were two for thirty pounds. My first Blu-rays were um, Wally and Batman Begins. My first Blu-ray was the Blu-ray was the Disappearance of Alice Creed. Blimey! Wow. <laughs> Do you know why? Because I went to buy it on DVD, uh, and it was 14 quid in Asda, and it was a tenner on Blu-ray. Oh, fair play. So I thought, ah, fuck it. Actually... You can have a Blu-ray player at the time. Do you know what? I lied. The first Blu-ray I got was about three months before I got a Blu-ray player, just because I wanted to have a Blu-ray and look at it. Oh, no, correction. I, I didn't have a Blu-ray player. I didn't have a HDTV at the time. I had a Blu-ray player for the PS3, but it didn't have a HD TV at the time. Oh, Christ. Oh, man. So it, so it looked like shit. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah. No, because I was the same, actually. Like, I got Doomsday. That was my first Blu-ray. Oh, nice. And then Argos had a Blu-ray player, like, in December. It was an Argos own brand one. And it cost, I think it was like £99. It was like, holy shit, a Blu-ray player for £99. I must have it. Um, and I got it, but, like, it, um, it wouldn't do a lot of the features. Like, they were, like, back in the day with Blu-ray, some people might remember this. It was, like, profiles, and certain players could, like, have certain profiles. And this player was a 1.0 only profile player, so it could basically play the film, and it would play, like, documentaries and stuff like that. But if you wanted to do any picture-in-picture or anything like that, you're pretty much fucked. So then I got another player that was a 1.1 player. I kind of like saw, I, I, re, I exchanged this player. I said it was broken in Argos because Argos will take anything back in exchange <laughs> as long as you got the receipt. And I got another one for like 20 quid more. And that was a 1.1 player. And that was all right for a few months. But then I traded that one in, just got a refund from Argos because I said it was broken. And I went to Dixon's. I paid 20 quid more and I got an X display model Sony one. There was a profile 2.0 player, but it didn't have any internal storage and it couldn't accept a USB storage either. So then I was trying to play something. I I, I was trying to play Crank 2 on (laughs) Blu-ray, but it had to download updates before it would play. And it basically I couldn't play it. Yeah. Because because this it didn't have internal storage, so then I got a fucking I got another Sony player, and finally I was I was all right from there on in. Was that the uh, great uh, Blu-ray uh, uh, scandal of? Oh, do you know what it was? Ten. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was uh, 2010. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah. So I mean, like, it took me about eight months because that was around Fright Fest. It took me eight months to get a Blu-ray player that could actually do anything a Blu-ray wanted you to do, <laughs> which is well, ridiculous. One thing that I that I'm guessing well, we'll quickly go on to it um, is. One thing I think might have annoyed you during Rewind this 
um, that you haven't mentioned, the aspect ratio guy. Oh my god! Yeah, oh. <laughs> I bet you were. I, I, I the was guy who was saying he doesn't mind pan and scan, and he thinks it's interesting that he artificially does panning shots. <laughs> yep, I was. Cool. I, I, I watched this last night in bed. At about I started watching it at midnight last night in bed, laid on my side with my duvet because my my missus was out, so I could do this with my duvet strategically placed, so I could have. The my iPhone there, so I could lay down and watch it on the side. Um, and as soon as <laughs> that guy said that, I kind of went, "Ooh!" I bet you Ian was swearing at his monitor I, when he I, said that. I was not happy with that man. You know, <laughs> it, it just like because that's that's interesting. Someone who is so into film. Well, I, I, I mean, I actually. I would suggest maybe he's not into film, maybe he is into the VHS collecting kind of thing. Because mm. frankly, if you are passionate about film, I mean, like, I was looking at that footage from Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid that they, they were showing, mm. and I was throwing up in my mouth. Like, it, that it, was, it, it, it was gross. It, it, what I will say is the first time I ever saw The Wild Bunch was on a pan and scan VHS. Oh, God. Right? First of all, the Wild Bunch, Pan and Scan VHS. And then the first time I saw the director's cut, which was the second time I saw the Wild Bunch, was on a widescreen, like, proper ratio laser disc of the Wild Bunch. Yeah. And I remember watching it and going, thinking, oh, like, you know, it won't, I didn't enjoy it the first time I watched it, really. Uh, and then the second time I watched it was when I borrowed my uncle's laser displayer and I had five laser discs to watch. Speed, Ace Ventura, um, Once Upon a Time in America, uh, Wild Bunch, and True Romance. And this was before Speed and True Romance came out in the cinema over here. Um, and watched Wild Bunch was like, oh my God, that is incredible. Oh, and there was uh, a Bronx Tale as well, so there was six. A Bronx Tale was another one. Uh, and yeah. again, it was great because you could get these before they came out of the cinema. Nice. That's laser display, though. Um, well, we'll end off by saying my first two DVDs. Yeah. Alien. Oh. Good. Solid. Yeah. yeah. Solid. Yeah. And yeah. The World Is Not Enough. Uh, did they come through the DVD player? No. I bought them. I bought them two for £30. <sighs> was, it, was it a poor selection? No, it was a really good selection. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so uh, that's rewind. This definitely not shit, but I think your mileage may vary. Um, yes. So let's move on. Uh, we're actually going to go into the future because we're going to record this bit tomorrow, um, and we'll get on to some one old and one new after some promos. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I've ever encountered in any film. We well, are in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. It just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. It's just meaning that's the third time though. I mean, I must, this is on. You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the picture. If you could any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. He oh. wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. 
video cassettes first came in, we we jumped in. We loved it. We thought it was great. There were video stores opening up all over the world that needed movies. You could all of a sudden be introduced to all of this this stuff that never would have been available, never would have shown on TV, never would have been in your movie theater. Production price tag, you know, Terminator, eighty million, Puppet Master, four hundred thousand dollars. Not an even playing field, but on the video store, they're all on the same shelf, they're all in the same size boxes. They've made it so simple to use, the cat can operate it. It was. We were the first generation that could be sent to bed with the promise it'll be here tomorrow when you get up. That changed our relationship with television. VHS came out and the rewind button was introduced. That was pretty much revolutionary for filmmakers. There were not the economic constraints that were associated with image making before. That's revolutionary. Okay, so we've travelled forward in time. Uh, we are now at the last day of the the transfer deadline day uh, into the last hours. I'm getting nervous. I think Mark's probably quite excited, frankly. Um, um, oh, you. I, 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 I used to be an, an incredibly optimistic football fan, and now I'm not. I'm an incredibly pessimistic football fan. <laughs> All I can say is, if we can't even get fucking Fellaini, if, if United don't even have the, the wherewithal to get Fellaini now, I'm very, very, very worried. And that's, uh, yes. I think the, I think as much with United, um, it is as much the loss of Ferguson, but I also think the fact that David Gill's gone yeah, has affected this, it massively in the transfer window. This Ed Woodward does not fill me with confidence. No, it, he's a little bit more Ed Wood than, uh, um, oh, very David good. Gill. <laughs> he's a bit more Ed Wood than Edward Woodward. Yes. <laughs> So, um, anyway, um, I'm sure some of you are fucking trying to douse your ears in bleach at the moment, so we'll move on from that. And um, we'll get into our one old, one new. So, Mark, uh, what do you want to hit us with first, bud? I'm going to hit you with my one old um, first, because it's it's a more positive... um, (laughs) It's a more positive uh, little uh, review, I suppose, um, than my one new will be. Um, I watched, I've uh, been wanting to watch it, rewatch it for a while now, uh, Lucky Number Slevin. Oh, I, yeah. Which is the 2006, 2006 movie, um, which directed by Paul McGuigan, uh, he, who did uh, Acid House, Gangster Number One, which is a thoroughly underrated movie, mm. um, as is Wicker Park, and um, he also directed Push, which, yes, moving swiftly on. Um, so, Looking at number seven, um, just to give a brief outline for people who might not have seen it, um, it is a, a kind of um, crime thriller, almost sort of a mafia gangster kind of one, um, and a, a tale of mistaken identity, mm-hmm. uh, where you have Josh Hartnett, um, he's having a, a pretty bad week, um, he goes to stay with one of his friends and ends up um, being brought in by two rival gangsters uh, known as The Boss, played by Morgan Freeman, and uh, The Rabbi, played by Ben Kingsley, when he was insisting people call him Sir Ben Kingsley, uh, before allegedly Martin Scorsese told him to get over himself. <laughs> um, and um, he, he gets a mistaken identity where they think that he's the guy whose house he's staying at, uh, and he's not, but he, in a way, kind of 
he has an, a chemical imbalance in the brain, apparently, which stops him from feeling panic. So he basically goes along with the fact that you know he's not this guy, but they don't believe him that he isn't this guy, so he kind of goes along with it, and they tell him that if he performs this hit, that he's, the amount of money that he owes will be wiped off. And stories kind of mix in with other stories, and this happens and this happens, and everything kind of becomes this entwined ball of mess and then all of a sudden somebody pulls it out and it all unravels and we get a good picture of what's going on. And it is, it's one of those films where it was, it was heavily maligned when it came out, uh, didn't receive good reviews, but I, I hope um, that it, at some point we'll get a re-evaluation. I enjoyed it when I first saw it. I actually saw it at the cinema um, and really enjoyed it. Uh, I've watched it once on DVD since then. And this was, I think, my third, possibly fourth watch. I think I watched it on TV at some point when it was on. Right. And uh, thoroughly enjoyed it again. Uh, it's it's very much a, a a film that gets lumped in the, the post-Tarantino um, bracket of, because it's a film that is told in a what it seems like it's a non-linear way when it actually it is told in a very linear way. It just has flashbacks and overlaps but it's still actually a fairly linear film but because of I think you know the fact that you've got Bruce Willis in there and the fact that it, it has this quite snappy dialogue people say oh well it's just a it's just a Tarantino knockoff when actually it, it, it shares more with other directors than it does with with Tarantino there are you know there are hints to um, to Kubrick in it. I'm not saying that it, it's like a Kubrick film, but there are nods to Kubrick. There are are nods. you trying to argue that Lucky Number 11 is better than Doctor Strange Love, Mark? I definitely am not trying to argue, argue that. Um, but it, it, it's, it, it's definitely not as bad as people have said it is. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, but also, um, one that I get, which I might be fucking way off that with this one, but it it reminds me a lot of um, Orson Welles films, um, and it kind of it, it seemed to me like it, it would be a film that that fits somewhere into the bracket of um, a lot of the a lot of Orson Welles's um, directed films, um, sort of things. I mean, like not maybe sort of Citizen Kane. Um, because that's very much a film of itself, and I don't want to compare Lucky Number 11 to Citizen King, because I'll get people fucking um, probably issuing death threats um, <laughs> or, or madness threats. But um, things like the, uh, the trial and, and things like that in, in the, the way that it feels and the way that it flows, so more like that. But I think it, it's definitely a film that needs to be reevaluated um, at, at some point. It's Willis not just phoning it in. He seems to have an actual interest in the film. Um, Freeman and Kingsley actually have something to do other than just be Morgan Freeman and Ben Kingsley. Uh, and Josh Hartnett is an actor that was in a lot of films um, for... A, a period from the, sort of the late 90s to sort yeah. of the mid-noughties and then he's kind of dipped off you know he, sort of the, the late noughties um, you know he, he was cranking out a couple of films a year and then since the 
since 2010, he, he's maybe only made sort of three or four films. He's, he's done a lot more theatre work. Um, but he's, I, I think in a lot of ways, he's the um, Keanu Reeves of his generation. Um, but he never he never got to make a Matrix to yeah. save him. Um, he's he's very he's very expressionless and he has quite a distinctive voice. Uh, and I've always said about Keanu Reeves that Keanu Reeves isn't a bad actor. He's just got a very boring voice. And I think Hartnett kind of he has a very he has a very set expression. He's quite uh, a generic looking bloke as well. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he's very Hollywood generic. You know, he's a very he's a very handsome guy. Mm. Um, but he's he like you say, he does have that generic handsomeness. He could quite easily have been an Abercrombie and Fitch, yeah, Fitch um, sure. um, model and done that kind of thing. But similar in a way to somebody like Channing Tatum, and he maybe doesn't have the, the charisma of a of a Channing Tatum. Um, or an overt charisma of a Chang Tatum, but he he did seem to for a while pick very good films. Um, but then he'd also he'd pick a good film, and then he'd pick two or three very bad films after that. Yeah, you know when you look back, I mean, if you look back over in like a small period, he did uh, you know Black Hawk Down, um, Wicker Park, Sin City, this. Uh, Black Dahlia and 30 Days a Night you know yes Black Dahlia ended up being crap but it, 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 that film on paper should have been very good yeah totally um, I mean another great um, Hartnett film at the time was uh, he did a film with uh, a Tim Blake Nelson directed film called Oh which is a a kind of retelling and a reimagining of Othello um, mm-hmm. Starring uh, Mackay Pfeiffer, um, Julia Mackay Styles, Pfeiffer, isn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, Julia Styles, uh, and it, that's a very, a, a very good film. Um, it's one of those where you, you go back and you look at it and you go, oh, actually, that's that's actually quite a good film, um, despite the fact that it stars uh, Julia Styles and Mackay Pfeiffer. <laughs> oh, God, she's she's incredibly boring. It's Julia Styles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I look at him saying it's one of those films where uh, I I think as time goes on, it will start to get a little bit more appreciated as people start to discover it, you know, a little bit more and start to maybe give it a, a chance. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Very nice, very nice. I, I I haven't seen it in years. I I can't really bring anything to this particular conversation. I know I've seen it. I remember seeing it when I was in uni, but um, I yeah, I I have nothing to add. So uh, moving on. Yeah, and also as well, uh, Lucy Liu was adorable in it. Oh yeah, Lucy Liu was cute in it. Fair play. Um, okay, so I'll I'll do my one new first. Um, uh, <laughs> so, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, no, 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 it's it's quite a positive chuckle. Um, so yeah, I I I had this to watch for fucking ages, and um, <laughs> uh, nineteen ninety four film directed by Ernest Dickerson, um, surviving the game. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So. Um, Basically, a re- essentially kind of a remake of the most dangerous game, I suppose. But um, with one of one of the great, oh bloody hell, he's in it. Casts of yeah. um, of, uh, of of the nineties. 
Ice-T in the lead, Rutger Hauer, yeah. F. Murray Abraham, Charles <laughs> S. Dutton, John C. McGinley, and Gary Busey. Gary Busey. <laughs> Plot. Ice-T is a vagrant who seems to know how to handle himself. He is employed by uh, Rutger Hauer and Charles S. Dutton um, as uh, a survival guide, a survival expert for a kind of a privately funded expedition. But wouldn't you know it, it turns out that the uh, expedition is actually to hunt him. Uh, he is he is the game and uh, the others are out to stop him. Surviving the game includes the uh, exchange at a dinner table. I killed my wife and child. How did that make you feel? I came in my fucking pants. Uh, which may be one of the best exchanges of dialogue I've ever heard. And I will just say, it's, I came, it's a sarcastic, I came in my fucking pants. Uh, he wasn't very happy that he killed his wife and child. Um, but just, how did that make you feel? I came in my fucking pants. So, if you like the sound of that, and if you like the sound of what I've said so far, you'll get a fair bit out of surviving the game. Now, I mean, Christ, it is very, it is far less than perfect. Um, I, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, I'm joking, obviously. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, it's, I mean, it would be a very good drunk watch. I mean, it, in fairness, it kind of, it's a really, really intriguing setup, and like the, 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 when they're all sitting around having dinner and talking, it's, a, it, it's actually genuinely involving, like what they're saying, the kind of the interactions. And Gary Busey, um, who's not in it that much, um, has this monologue in it um, about uh, his father trying to teach him how to be a man, which kind of comes out from left field and is more dramatically stirring in the space of about two minutes than anything else in the rest of the film, as much as the rest of the film is fun. And Busey knocks it out of the park, this scene. I mean, yeah. like, if if Surviving the Game was going to be an Oscar film, that would be the Oscar clip right there, you know. And, like, it, it kind of stands out, but it, it but it is, it is pretty... It's a pretty solid moment. Um, but, I mean, like, after, like, he becomes the game... It kind of generally is they get knocked off one by one um, uh, through their own fault or through Ice-T, like, setting traps for them or whatnot. And, um, I, I, I mean, the, 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 the whole, the kind of the literary kind of nature of it, uh, uh, like, the, the kind of the more thoughtful stuff, that actually there is a bit of in the first half hour kind of um, falls by the wayside for kind of B-movie type stuff. I mean, it does have its moments, um... John C. McGinley and um, Ice T have a pretty solid conversation in the cave at one point, but by the re- uh, by the end, it basically has turned into things blowing up and Ice T getting revenge. And but um, I mean, it's it's I think it's about ninety five minutes long, um, so it, it does not outstay its welcome. Um, Charles S. Dutton and Rutger Hauer are a good, a, a good pairing. Um, F. Murray Abraham doesn't get a great deal to do, but. Um, I, I enjoyed John C. McGinley a lot. I enjoyed Gary Busey a lot. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is just quite fun. And, I mean, Ice-T, I mean, he's Ice-T. You know, mm. I, I like, they, he, he's basically playing Ice-T. Um, but, I don't know, he's 
good in it, I suppose. I, I don't know. It just he is what he is. He does exactly what he needs to do in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. And um, yeah, I, 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 I think it's worth a watch. I mean, like, like I say, if if it was a drunk watch, I think it probably would have been better. But I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So um, yeah, so I mean, the game, I, I, it's a recommend. Yeah, I, I rented that several times. Nice. Um, so going back to what we spoke about during Rewind, this that was one of the films that I, I must have rented four or five times. Um, it, it, it's just it. I mean, you know, I watched it. I actually watched it last year um, as well, um, and thoroughly enjoyed it when I watched it. Like you said, the, the first half has a lot more meaning than the second half. It then just 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 does become very sort of generic B movie. Um, but then you've got the great, you know, Rugger Hoyer mania of it all, and the fact that you get the idea that that, that Gary Busey thinks they are actually hunting Ice T. Yeah. Um, that he's not in a film. That this is just Ruggahoya has gone out like uh, camping with Rug uh, with uh, produce has gone out camping with Ruggahoya, and this is what's happening. It's also got a brilliant end scene as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. The kind of the postscript is yeah. fucking solid. Um, as well, um, the director, uh, Alice Dickerson, if I'm correct, uh, was the cinematographer on a lot of Spike Lee's yeah, I, yeah yeah I mean he was he was Spike Lee's man and um, mm. I think I, I think he does a bit of TV and stuff like, he, he does loads of TV yeah I mean he's directed stuff on well pretty much any TV show that's been on in the past sort of uh, Walking Dead uh, Dexter uh, yeah, um Stargate, Burn It's The Jesus Wire. Jesus Christ, he directed an episode of Vampire Diaries. Yeah. Um, also, actually, as well, looking back over his film directing, Juice is a great film. His first film he directed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and his Tales uh, of the Crypt. Ah, uh, Demon Knight. Night yeah. It's a great yeah, Tales of the Crypt. What is it? Uh, solid. That is the one with Billy Zane in the motel, I think. Yeah, sure. With Thomas Hayden Church. That's a, that's a great... Um, you know, film, to be honest. It's a great kind of B-movie horror film. Like I said, Juice is a... I mean, again, Juice is another one I rented a lot. In fact, I probably rented Surviving the Game off the basis of the fact that it'll have said from the director of Juice on it on the video for all of them. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, I... I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think Ernest Dickerson does well here. I mean, it is a New Line film in the 90s. It's a kind of a... I mean, New Line were the distributor of the kind of exploitation-y, genre-y, kind of uh, low-budget, low high-returns kind of filmmaking. I mean, it was only with the Lord... Well, actually, no, I mean, I was reading um, a book, Rebels on the Back Lot, uh, by Sharon Waxman, um, which I finished a couple of weeks back, and it, it was saying about how Magnolia was New Line's first big we want to be a serious contender in stuff other than genre films, but in, like, the 15 years or so previous, I mean, like, it, it was the house that Freddie built, you know, and, um... I, I, yeah. I, it, it, New Line are... I mean, I, I suppose the noughties equivalent would have been uh, Lionsgate, and especially in what they're doing now, like, they're trying to be more serious and be a contender, you know, mm. and, and, I mean, that was like, that was New Line. I mean, I certainly say it, it, it's a very... It is... A very of its time movie, yeah. You know, totally. it, it, it is very much a a mid nineties movie that is trying to be 
a mid-70s movie. Now, what you got in the mid-noughties, when the mid-noughties tried to make, or nowadays, when they try to make mid-70s-looking movies, is they actually, they try and make them look like mid-70s movies. And they might even set them in the mid-70s. Whereas in the mid-90s, what they did was they took the ideas um, and the, the B-movie and the genre elements and put them very much in a 90s setting. And that is that is this type of movie. It's it's a great um, and going back to football at this point, this is a, that's a great after match of the day movie. That makes sense. Had a couple of beers. It's Saturday night. You don't really want to go to bed because it's only like quarter to twelve. Yeah. And you think I want to watch something where it's going to be it's going to be stupid. And the more I drink, the more I'm going to enjoy it. Mm. Um, and you can just sit and you can throw it on. And if you do fall asleep with a beer in your hand after an hour, it's not really going to matter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, and the latest Fellaini has arrived at Everton's training ground. Oh. We'll see yeah. what happens. See what happens. So, uh, let's go. Let's sort of watch. Oh, I fucking, I want his big hair in my life. Um. Uh, okay, so let's move on then, Mark. Sounds like you're going to be a bit less positive, but let's have your one new. My one new originally um, was going to be Iron Man 3, which I watched earlier in the week, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed, um, but I felt exactly the same about it as I do about pretty much every other um, Avengers movie, sure. in that I really enjoyed it. Um, it's a solid... 8 out of 10, it's my favourite of the Avengers movies, uh, I'd say without question um, but I felt it did suffer a little bit from repetition within itself um, but I still I still really enjoyed it and I think it, it for me anyway, very much nicely closed um, the Iron Man films off mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really see where they can go from there. Um, I didn't need the post credits. I, I, I liked it. I mean, I was glad for once that it wasn't just setting up another film. I liked that Iron Man three was so self-contained. I thought that was kind of actually a bit of a brave move from Marvel, and I think it shows that they are learning from their few mistakes, like Ooh, Iron Man two, which is just is a lot though. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's part of the story, though. It's not. Yeah, I, 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 I can see. I can see that a, a big failing of it was um, John Favreau was uh, was awful and quite offensive to look at. I mean, oh, that man looks like he's eaten two of himself. I wouldn't disagree with that. So that, that that man looks like at every point before Shane Black went right action he just threw behind him like a bucket of chicken uh, behind him and then as he went as he went cut he just lifted behind him and just picked it up off the floor and it, I, it was covered in like dust and a spider and stuff and he just dusted it off and then continued to eat it you're a meanie and, and, and the old and, and, and he was just he was just glad to be there <laughs> just, just glad to be there um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It had some great, wonderful um, Shane Blackisms in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, a great line of um, 
the bit where he goes to sign the kid's autograph and he turns around the kid and says, I loved you in a Christmas story, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd be in reams. There was another one as well that had me in reams of laughter. Um, I thought the villain was crap, but I didn't care. Um, was, this was not the one you wanted to talk about, was it, Mark? No, this is what even wanted to talk about. Uh, but I, I'm building myself up. Right, okay. <laughs> but I just wanted to get it out there that I, I thoroughly enjoyed Iron Man cool. 3. Uh, <laughs> it's not even my top 10 year, film of the year, but it is my favourite of the Avengers movies. Fair play. Um, right. <laughs> now, last night, um, I watched Kick-Ass 2. Oh, God. Okay. Right? Now, when Kick-Ass first... The first Kick-Ass movie um, came out, um, I had very little interest in seeing it. I was always going to watch it, but I had very little interest in seeing it. It looked um, a bit juvenile, like it was going to be unnecessarily crass, and just, it looked a little bit, to me, pointless. But I, I gave it a go, um, and I admitted through that I was absolutely wrong. It was a a wonderfully warm-hearted um, and a thoroughly nice movie. And yes, it had, you know, you take away the eight-girl things. And I I, I can see some people's um, questions about the um, sexualization of a 12-year-old girl. I can see some of that, but I felt people went a little bit overboard sure. with their criticisms of it. Uh, and I really liked it. It was what ended up being one of my favourite movies of 2010. Thoroughly adored it. Um, uh, Kick-Ass 2 um, when Jim Carrey came out and sort of criticised it and said that he kind of made a mistake on it I thought well you know it's easy to say that after the fact um, now I can thoroughly see what he meant it is a thoroughly unpleasant mean-spirited and pointless movie that has none of the wit warmth or heart of the original movie um, all of the performances in it are all fine I have no problem with that um, but none of these characters deserve to be treated as horribly as Jeff uh, Wadler treats them in this movie it has dialogue that is just so pointless and at points repugnant that it left me turning around to my wife and saying is it is it just me, or is this just thoroughly unpleasant? Fifteen-year-old mm. um, girls do not talk like that. I'm not a fifteen-year-old girl. I know no more than Jeff Wadler what fifteen-year-old girls talk like. But I have a girl who's nine. Yes, that's six years younger. But I'm sorry, that's just not how fifteen-year-old girls talk. Um there were scenes in it where I, I'm sorry, but I know, and I know that there's been a lot of criticism, um, and we discussed it off air um, yesterday of the pain and gain thing. Yeah, uh, about that being an unpleasant movie. Um, I'm sorry. When did um, a guy going in to rape somebody and not being able to get an erection seem like a good idea and seem like it would be? Funny. Yeah, that that moment is insane. I I can't believe that hasn't had more talk about it. Considering it's... considering, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the point you make about pain and gain is interesting. Considering some of the, the, the stuff that people say is repugnant in that. I mean, it, it, the, the, I mean, the fact is, Kick Ass Two is rated fifteen. Mm. 
that is played, that bit is played for laughs. And I kind of, in terms of the conceit, I understand what they're doing, that making fun of of McLovin, you know, just Not being able to get an erection, yeah. And and, and the fact that it highlights the patheticness of his character. But... It's it's a good idea, and it might look alright on paper, but I can't believe that, and I don't believe that Matthew Vaughan would have put that in. Weirdly, I would have been less offended, I, I think I would have been less offended if it went down the route of the comic, where apparently he rapes her, and that's it. It's just, and he does actually say, you're going to see what evil dick tastes like. Yeah, that, that, that would have been more in keeping with this thoroughly unpleasant movie. Um... But uh, yeah, I think but, that's probably why, actually, yeah, because but, it, it but, is but so incongruous. Then they the made job. it even more unpleasant yeah. by doing that because they it was it was incredibly misjudged in a film that is so misjudged continuously. The the over the top constant gore and violence became pathetic. Yeah, and, I mean, like just because you can do something doesn't mean to say you should. The violence in Kickass was, and the idea um, about Kickass was, what if a regular person became a superhero? And Kickass spends the majority of the time getting his ass kicked, you know, and that happens, and there are consequences. With this, there's a whole sequence in it where a big Russian woman. Um, kills a load of police in increasingly ridiculous ways. It is, uh, it's essentially the film that you were afraid Kick-Ass was going to exactly. be. Exactly. It is exactly the film that I was afraid Kick-Ass was going to be. And I, I was watching it and I was thinking, because I, I, I went into it expecting it to be, you know, I was really looking forward to it. And all the way through it, I, you know, I just, you know, all the performances are perfectly fine. Everybody is perfectly okay. There's not a there's not a bad performance in it, but um, there's there's too many characters. It can't decide whether or not it wants to be a hit girl movie or a kick ass movie. That's true. Um, and it ends up being a movie about neither of them. Um, the the realisation from Hit Girl that she's got to stop being Hit Girl because she's got to be fair to this guy who's taken her on, well, I'm sorry, but it just happens. And there's no, there's nothing that will take away, there's nothing that, that, that happens in that moment that shouldn't have happened earlier. Yeah, sure. And it, it just felt ridiculous. Um, the the character of Kickass um, goes backwards to being even more naive and unprepared than he was in the first movie. It, it, it is weird how much that his character regresses, and, yeah. and how by the end of this film, they've basically gotten to the same point as the end of the first one for, for his character, where it's I, I can't do this anymore. That, you know, I mean, that, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm trying to remember the end of the first one. And, I mean, like, has he... Does he give it up at the end of the first one? Yeah, he does, doesn't he? He does, yeah, he does. He, he gives it up to, to uh, have a girlfriend. 
they live a normal right. life. Yeah, that's uh, right. And then they kind of write out the girl thing very quickly by, you know, and also as well, uh, the Marcus character, the surrogate father oh, to yeah. Hit Girl, I'm sorry, he'd know who Kick-Ass was. Yeah, yeah, he'd Oh, that so. boy. He'd have clicked who that was. It just, the whole thing just felt, uh, it, 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 it was, it was just a horrible movie. It was pointless, childish, and just, it, it was so misjudged and juvenile a movie. I just, I felt utterly let down. I'd love to, I'd love to know what Matthew Vaughan thinks about that movie and Jane Goldman. I'd love yeah, to, I'd love to know. Jane Goldman for me. Uh, uh, huh? Yeah, particularly uh, yeah. Jay Goldman. What, what they think of it. Because I think it, it was them who managed to craft something out of the, 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 that, the first movie. Um, and then to give it to, to give, you know, what essentially was, you know, Kick-Ass didn't do massive business, but it did, you know, it did well. And it did well on um, on home video. But to give it to Jeff Wadler, who, what, he made... He made Cry Wolf and never, never back, back down. down. Yeah. In what world did they think that he'd be able to, to to handle this with any level of maturity? Yeah, it's I I don't know. It, it's an odd one. It it, it just feels like a, a a sequel that was willed into existence more for I don't know Mark Mark Millar just constantly going on about it and they were like oh fuck I suppose we're going to have to do this now that's I mean in a way that's kind of what worries me about Riddick which we'll be reviewing next week because yeah. like that that film basically was forced into being by Vin Diesel which, but then again I, I don't mind that because that's Vin Diesel forcing it to be yeah okay and, fair enough you know that's his character this is if if Matthew Vaughan had forced it through if Jane Goldman had forced it through if one of those people who were the actual driving forces behind the original movie, thought it through, but it wasn't. It was the guy who obviously wants to sell more comic books yeah. off the back of it. Um, and it, it, if the worry there is if he, and he clearly does think it's a good movie because he still promotes it. Yeah, he's very much behind it, isn't he? Um, if, 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 that's, if, that's, if he thinks that this movie, and it, it's quite telling the fact that that Carey hasn't done any promotion for it, and uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson has done very little promotion. For yeah, it. Chloe Grace Moretz and Jed Wadlow are pretty much the only people who I think have done anything for it. Yeah, and you know, it, it, I, I, I can see why Chloe Grace Moretz would, would see this as being her signature role, and I, I very much think that she wants to publicise it because the next movie I think will focus a lot more on Hit Girl. If there is another movie, I don't think there will be. It's, it's not done nearly well not enough nearly to justify enough. it. I think the only way you'd get another movie is if Matthew Vaughan strolled in and went, uh, "Jeff, yeah, fuck off. Um, we'll do the next movie." I could see them going, a shooter going, "All right, fuck it," but you're not getting the, you know, you, you, it's going to be another thirty million budget. And also, this had a smaller budget than the first movie. But it looks like I've yeah, the first. Yeah, yeah. This looks virgin on direct to video because it's handled by somebody who has no idea how to craft a movie. I'll say I liked it more than you, 
but I agree with pretty much everything you're saying. I, I, I admired the fact that it was pretty full on, like for most of the runtime. I thought that it it packed a punch in terms of sheer stuff going on. If if that had been the case, you know, fair, I, I could have dealt with that. Fair enough. If any of it had have been dealt with in a more mature or competent level. Yeah, I mean, it, the thing One is... One thing I will say is, is Chris Minutes Platts I thought was very good in it, and I've often given him shit, we'll say. Uh, I thought he was very good at playing a, an incredibly pathetic character. Yeah, I mean, I, I the thing is, I think both they these all, films... Yeah, I, I think both these films are going to be completely forgotten in ten years. I don't think anyone is going to talk about the Kick-Ass films. I think Kickass maybe I could see that gaining a bit I, of a bit of a bit of cult um, notoriety. It's dating but, pretty roughly, is Kickass. Yeah, I, I, I could I could agree with that. Um, it's been one of those films that in five years' time nobody will be talking about it, but in fifteen years' time people might start talking about it. Maybe. But nobody will, nobody will ever watch Kickass two, hopefully ever again. <laughs> so um, wow, okay, um, I'll. Um, I'll go a bit speedier with my one old. Um, it's the only rewatch I've actually done this week, even though I will say, um, and it's related, I'm about 40 minutes into Chronicles of Riddick, and I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Yes! Um, but we'll uh, we'll talk about that more next week. And uh, my only rewatch this week was Pitch Black, uh, which, again, we'll probably talk about a bit next week, so I'll, I'll go briefly. Um, it held up quite well for me, actually. Um, I think its low budget is telling in its CG and in its cinematography. Um, somebody made the point to me on Twitter yesterday that it looks like shit, and I I think it, it's not helped by the fact that they've obviously kind of done a lot of like digital grading after the fact on it uh, to kind of bleach it out and have kind of like high contrast all over the place during the daytime scenes. I think once it gets to like the kind of the pitch blackness about halfway through, it's not too shabby though. Um, but yeah, I like Vin Diesel in it. Um, I like the fact that there are character arcs for other characters other than Vin Diesel. I mean, Rada Mitchell is almost the co co lead in this. Really, actually, I think she is the co lead. Um, and I, I, you know, I think the fact that they try to retroactively like call it one of the Chronicles of Riddick. Um, I, I, I think was a little bit disingenuous, and especially uh, towards Ryder Mitchell's character, because she does have a good arc. There is a solid emotional backbone to her and her relationship to Riddick, which uh, which I enjoy. Uh, cast characters are good, you know, nice and varied. Some of them are, uh, are very, very obvious cannon fodder, but it's par for the course in that way. Um, it kind of looks like Riddick's going in that direction as well. I mean, mm. R- Riddick kind of looks like a, a kind of just a modern-day remake of Pitch Black. Yeah, um, which, which is what I like about it. Yeah, and I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm actually up for that as well. Yeah, I mean, definitely, yeah. And um, and solid score as well. The main theme, which is kind of reprised in a way in Chronicles of Riddick, um, I, I, I really quite like as well. So yeah, Pitch Black, I, it's been a, it had been at least a decade. I'd seen it a few times, like when it was out on DVD. And um, oh, I just remember the kick-ass original DVD cover it used to have that was kind of like grey. And it, it was just like the kind of the uh, kind of grey view of... Actually, I'm going to see if I can get a... Pitch... Black DVD cover. The guy, the, you say it's definitely a score for that. I'm trying to check on, um, yeah, which is yeah, Remy Ravel. Um, he, he actually did some pretty decent scores. 
Yeah, Graham you Rebell, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was about late nineties, early noughties. Yeah. Um like, yeah, there's some fucking there's some, there's some horror fucking things on there, but there's some good stuff as well. Yeah, have a look have a look at this. Have a look. Oh. Let's see if this is the one I've got. Let's have a look. Oh that, yes, it's not the one I've got, but yeah, that is that is a fucking cool Th- That's cover. a fucking great cover. Very, I love that cover. Very it's very the thing poster. Yeah, yeah, straight up. I think that's why I like it so much. And then it got um it's actually had a few covers, because there was kind of like a green text cover that it had um had for a while, or kind of like a kind of greeny outline to it. And then and then it had the the one with like Riddick um uh, kind of like on like Riddick on the cover when it was like it was all going to be Chronicles of Riddick, but um, yeah. I, I anyway, I I really re- do rate Pitch Black. I think it's a solid solid creature feature. Um, I mean, it, it, the, the CG's dated, uh, but you know it is what it is. It was quite low budget, and uh, yeah, I very 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 much look uh, look forward to Riddick, which I'm seeing mm. Wednesday. I'm genuinely excited. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to Riddick. But then again, let's say uh, I really like the Chronicles of Riddick. Um, I was one of the few people who actually liked it and uh, once had an argument with uh, Dame Judi Dench about it. Yeah, she's not keen on it, is she? No, I, 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 I had an argument with her about how I think it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, she didn't I, like it. Yeah, I remember her coming out quite strongly against it in the in the years hence. But I mean, I, I don't know. But yeah, so that's Pitch Black, and uh, that's it for our one old one new. So let's move on to the start of our George A. Romare No Zombies marathon as um, as we take a look at the the crazies. And here is the trailer. We never thought it would happen. Nobody gets in or out of that town. Now is that clear? The girl just died. How do you intend to let the people know about all this? We were asleep. They dragged us right out of the house. Are we under martial law? Don't talk to me or anybody else unless you get a voice print check. Oh, hell's broke loose in town. Nobody knows what's going on. Now look, you just can't push us around this way. We've got to get a nuclear weapon in the air above that town. And what the hell's going on, Sheriff? You know what I do, boy. Let's go. I taken me no choice. They started something they can't stop. The crazy. There's something that demands. Something that inflames. Something that brutalizes. It's madness unleashed by human error. The crazy. Can they tame it before time runs out? I'm a key man on the Christmas team. A key man! I'm one of the developers of the goddamn thing! Now, if you want me to get the job done, you get me the stuff I need, and you get it the hell in there before the morning's over! A small town becomes a giant stockade. Heaven City must be contained or leveled. We're all concerned with Evan City, Mr. Hawks. If we have to push the button, would you say the weapon went off? Get me the president. Three thousand six hundred and fourteen people are trapped by an unknown enemy. Five are on the run. Can they escape the spreading fury of the crazy? You can make it. I know it. 
better get out of here. Jesus, man. And I want a weapon search for the entire town. Watch it, Bucky! This is exactly the kind of thing we're trying to prevent. A lethal terror snowballs into hell. In there. Madness runs rampant. We'll dope it out. Sooner or later. Sooner or later. The crazy. Okay, so we are back with the uh, the crazies, which um, is not the first non-zombie film that Romero did, but uh, there's always vanilla is insanely hard to find. I hear so. Um, yes, it, it, oh, actually, it is. I think I might be wrong on this. I think on the it's a special feature on one of the other films. Really. I'm pretty sure, bear me two seconds, I might be insanely wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure um, that on the US um, DVD of Season of the Witch... Oh, do you know what? I'm looking on the IMDb. It's got it's got a picture of the DVD. It actually has a little thing saying it includes bonus Romero feature. There's always vanilla. Ah, on the Season of the Witch, I, I, good, because I thought I was going crazy. Um but yeah, but yeah, well, I, I, I think I think we're all right to have skipped that one, to be honest. Cool. So, and um, we we are also skipping um, uh, season of the witch. Um, so, uh, sorry, um, but we'll. Um, so, so we're doing. So, so just to announce it, we're doing Martin next then. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I, I I'm, we haven't really talked about this, but fuck it, why not? Um, so yeah, I was thinking if we do. This then Martin then Night Riders. That's long. What? Night Riders is long. How long is it? Two and a half hours. Oh Christ! Oh fuck me! 145 minutes. Yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's long. <laughs> oh blimey, Charlie! All right, well, do you want to do it? Ah, uh, it's up to you. I don't mind doing that or something else. It, it, it's long. Nah, fuck it. Go on, we'll do it. There's a, there's a, there's a, I've got the Blu-ray that as well. Oh, the Arrow one. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, so yeah, we'll do uh, this. Martin Knight Riders, Monkey Shines. Yes. Uh, which uh, obviously we're going to have to do it. And um, uh, should we finish off with the with the dark half? Um, I hear bruises a bit shit. So bruises is, is, is fucking awful. Yeah, we'll do we'll do the dark half. Um, yeah, I think yeah. Cool. So that's we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll miss out to Evil Eyes because he's not really it's a half directorial thing. Cool. Uh, um, okay. That, yeah. No. Absolutely. And um, also, I had an idea as well um, for the next marathon, which is going to be in October. Mm-hmm. How about two Nightmare on Elm Street films a week? Oh yes, yes. Because it means I get to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street too. Brilliant. Okay. So we'll do we'll do like we'll do two a week, and we'll just see how long we spend talking about each one, so we don't have to go into each one in depth. Yeah. Uh, so okay, cool. So we'll do um, we'll do well, actually, fucking all right. Sorry, production meeting while we're doing. So uh, Sunday the first, this Sunday, Sunday the eighth, Martin. Sunday the fifteenth. Yeah, this works. Sunday the fifteenth, uh, Night Riders. Sunday the nineteenth. Uh, sorry, Sunday the twenty second, uh, Monkey Shines. Sunday the twenty ninth, the Dark Half. 
And then how many weeks in October? Okay, then Sunday the 6th of October, the, the Nightmare on Elm Street's 1 and 2. Yes! The 13th, 3 and 4. Yep. Uh, the 20th, 5 and 6. And then the 27th, Freddy vs. Jason and the remake. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to the, watching the remake again, I'll say that, but we'll do shall, shall we do it and we can just slag it? Yes. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay. It will it will literally just be me and you just, just fucking tearing shite into it. Okay, cool. So that's the next two months of marathon sorted, so um good stuff. Yep. And we'll we'll have to do some sort of Christmas themed one in November and December. Oh, without question. Nice. So um okay, so moving on then from uh, that production meeting, but at least you guys know what um what we're what we're doing if you want to uh, play along. Uh so yeah, the crazies, nineteen seventy three. Um who's its star? Some people you've never heard of. Um yeah, I'm not even going to bother, to be honest, because there's no way you'd have heard of anybody in this. No. Uh, and, uh, God, I kind of want to cover the George A. Romero-directed TV documentary, O.J. Simpson, Juice on the Loose. <laughs> That's not a thing. Uh, it is. It's on IMDb. Oh, fucking hell. It's uh, 47 minutes long. Oh, I can't That's incredible. That, that. George A. Romero directed an O.J. Simpson documentary called Juice on the Loose. I, I kind of want to cover that now. We might cover that as during one of the shows. You can cover it. I might cover it. Okay. <laughs> if I can uh, find it. Bloody hell. Jesus. Nice. <laughs> Juice on the Loose. Jesus Christ. Right, okay, let's get on with it. Um, the Crazies. Um, the story is um, there's been a plane crash, a chemical's gotten into the water, it's driving people mad. Well, they either go mad or they go dead, basically. Um, or go they go mad, mad or go dead. Go dead. dead. Go mad or go dead, exactly. Um, Mark, what did you think of The Crazies? Um, I've, I've seen The Crazies uh, before um, a, a couple of times, I, I'm a I'm a fan to be honest. Um, it's Romero. I mean, the reason why I'm covering uh, Romero and the uh, Romero no zombies is because it is quite easy just to focus on Romero as a um, as a director of zombie movies, um, mainly because he's directed some of the you know the seminal zombie movies, um, but. This shows a, a craft for panic and creating that, and the fact that the crazies very much drops you from the start in the peril. There's no build-up to it. You drop straight into it, and it goes straight away, and it, it, it maintains that, that level of, of panic and that level of um, tension for a, a very sort of a long run into it, and it doesn't break until maybe about halfway through it and and it does it, it does start to, to as, a, as a definite dip in the middle um before you know picking itself back up at a, the end around rapey dad time around kind of rapey dad time yeah uh, but it, it is it, it throws you straight in there and it, it, it that first 40 minutes just bounces along like nothing um and it, it's it, it's a film that maybe it should get more praise in the the sci-fi horror genre than it than it than it does, and it had a bit of a a reevaluation uh, a few years ago when the, the remake came out, and the remake happened to be one of those horror remakes that wasn't terrible. That was actually quite good. Um, but yeah, I, I I thoroughly enjoy the crazies. Um, I've, I've seen it 
three or four times, and still when I watched it, it's been a, it's been a good couple of years since I last watched it, but when I still watched it uh, yesterday, I still still bounced along for that first 40 minutes and then did dip and then the last 20 minutes again get going very quickly and I, I, I still thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I very much agree with that, actually. Um, I think that, yeah, the first half is fucking terrific. I mean, like, mm. strikingly, holy shit, this still really works. Yeah, it does, yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, I think the reason for that, in my mind anyway, is that the, the kind of the balance between the kind of the more documentary-esque popping around these different, like, governmental departments and, like, how they're kind of setting things up and, you know, the, how they're setting up the the, the, the the kind of the camps and, like, getting like going into people's homes. That kind of thing is more heavily weighted in the first half of the film. Uh, and, like, the, the kind of the story of the people who are kind of on the run is, is kind of taking a backseat. But then as the film goes on, the, the weight kind of goes in favour of the people on the run and I think the interest slightly dips... Yeah, I'd certainly agree with that, definitely, yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, essentially, the, the film is a bunch of people go on the run, one by one, they start going mad. Mm. And, and that, that's kind of all there is to it. Um, and, I mean, you know, it, it's, I mean, that, that, that is a problem. And, I mean, there, there are things that kind of don't work. Like, the lead guy, he, like, he seems to have an immunity, but they don't really do anything with that. And the pregnant woman's had the had the injection and you kind of, you know, it kind of seems like she's going to be all right and then she starts going a bit doolally. Yeah. And, you know, it just, it doesn't... It, and then, it, yeah, and then the, the last scene's a little bit confusing. Yeah, I mean, what, yeah, so, like, she, so she basically gets shot and dies and then yeah. it's kind of the end of them and then it just cuts to that colonel who has just, like, he's kind of been in it, but not really been a main character, and then they're like, right, the infection spread somewhere else, we need you to go there now, and then it just kind of ends. Yeah, but but the the lead guy and the colonel kind of both look at each other, and he kind of, like, he, he almost smiles at him, the, the lead guy, like, smiles at the colonel, and it's a bit like, hang on a minute, your, your wife and yeah, yeah, unborn yeah. child have just been murdered? Yeah. Why are you smiling? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, no, it's, um, it's odd. It is, it is. It's not, I mean, it's not, odd is the best, yeah, it's the best word to use to describe it, to be honest, yeah. Yeah, um, but I mean, what what comes before it, though, is is fantastic. Sorry, I'm just Mm. getting some light on this room. Um, touch this, sir. Ah, there. Right, hopefully, I'm going to let you keep this off. Um,. I'll aim not to. What the fuck? How the fuck are all these plugs being used? <laughs> I've got eight plugs being used here. What the fuck? Jeez. That is a lot of plugs. I can't have... Oh, well, it's because... Oh, fucking my region ADV... Uh, Blu-ray player's up here as well, and uh, 32-inch TV's up here, but I actually don't want the blu- this Blu-ray player up here because the 32-inch TV's poo. Um, <laughs> sorry, just a second. I'm not cutting this out, by the way. Um... <laughs> Never put out things like this. Fucking hell. Right, okay. Light go on. Yeah. Right, okay. Now I've got to... Fucking hell. Right, okay. Sorry about that. Bloody hell. Jesus Christ. Right, there we go. Fucking hell. Right, okay. Um... Yeah, so... But, I mean, the... the, I mean, the opening of the film... I was amazed how quickly it just got started... Mm. You know, I mean, like, that first scene, 
is great. I, I, I mean, like, the, the kind of the directorial chops of Romero are kind of in full force there. I mean, there's a shot early on where the, um, uh, it's kind of looking up and it's like the stairs going down into the cellar and the, the, the boy is, uh, no, the, I, I, oh, what is it? I think the boy's in the cellar and the girl's upstairs and the boy's like scaring the girl and then the boy kind of looks a bit startled and then there's kind of a shadow um, in in the background and 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 and, and she, he knows it's not her and he's like what the fuck and then it's like the dad who's going mad and he's he's throwing like gasoline all over the place I mean that, I thought that was a really effective shot and just the way it starts so it it doesn't do it in a kind of like an exploitation and you holy shit this is going to be hardcore kind mm. of a way it's very very matter of fact and 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 just here we go. And, and, and then the film starts. I mean, apart from that one scene of the, the couple in bed, I mean, it, it properly is, like, something's going on. And, like, the whole... I, I, I like how the first 45 minutes is basically the chain of command, where, like, the person above, above, above a lower person fucks the lower person over, and then the person above that person fucks that person over, and how it goes from, like, chain to chain. Like, that colonel guy comes in, and he's he's all like, I can't, you know, I can't tell you what's going on. Get these people out of there, blah, blah, blah. And then 20 minutes later, he's just as fucked as everybody else. Yeah, it, 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 it's good because you've got a lot of people kind of basically saying, a lot of the town people say, you know, what's going on? And a lot of the military guys going, I don't know. Uh, and then the, the military guys saying, I don't know, do as I say. And then them going to their superiors, what's going on? And them going, well, we, we'll tell you. Say, and then saying, well, I need to know, yeah, you yeah. know. And the, the the major rider guy who's saying, you know, well, we've got people, you know, we're going to have trouble here. And I'm saying, what, you can't deal with it. He's like, well, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And the um, the doctor guy, who's just an arsehole. <laughs> he's funny. Uh, and, you know, he, he, he's just, he's, he's a brilliant character because he's just an arsehole who, who, who just, kind of seems like he doesn't want to get blamed for it um, and but he's angry with the military at the fact that they're not letting him do what he wants to do and they won't listen to him but you kind of get the feeling like he's like oh do I really have to do this yeah 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 absolutely yeah I mean it's I, I, it, yeah, I mean, it's that Doctor character. I think is fantastic, and the way that they, they keep on cutting back to him, and they kind of cut back to him more and more, and then he thinks he's got it, but then you don't know whether he has actually got it. Like, I mean, he got the got the cure, but you yeah. you don't know, and then it, it, it's um, and and then he gets out, and then just in the scrum of it all, like the confusion, he just he just gets mixed up in it, and that whole kind of confusion angle I thought was interesting as well, because they kind of do it audibly as well, like the way that the people in the gas masks, you can barely hear what they're saying, mm. and it puts you in that kind of that slightly on edge mood of um, uh, yeah, like, yeah. what the fuck. Yeah, I, I, what is going on here? Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. And I, I, I think that's a really effective way of uh, kind of getting you in the shit, you know. Yeah, it, it definitely shows that um, that Romero has kind of chops uh, or had chops as a director, um, and not just he didn't just come up with a good idea and then kind of rode uh, the crest of that wave. Uh, I think you know there's there's, there's almost a. A thing to kind of look at and say maybe 
that Romero's you know, his dead movies became as much a, a hindrance on his ability as a director than it did become a way for him to to broaden himself as a director. You know, this is I think technically his third movie, I think, isn't it? Um, yeah, sure. And it shows that he is more than just the dead movies. You know, there's definitely there's ideas there and there's a style certainly there. Yeah, yeah, no, abs- uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm already kind of surprised, really, because this, this is a film that, like, you know, if the remake comes down, you, it, it's just like, well, you know, it's, you don't really hear too much about the original. It's more just because of the name recognition than anything else. But it's, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I thought it was, I, I thought it was very effective. Um, mm-hmm. Not perfect, but. Um, well done. I mean, like I, some of it's heavy-handed. I mean, like the constant, like do 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 You know that that whole kind of like oh, it's satire. You know, it, I, does, it does suffer a little bit from that that thing of bad seventies low-budget music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it's. Um, I don't know. I don't think I have too much more to say about it. I mean, the the, I, the actors are what they are. Yeah. Um, I mean, the sissy spacesuit girl look, uh, looking girl is, <laughs> you know, like, uh, effective looking for that role. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I... You mean, I, I can't believe it's not sissy spacesuit. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, it just, um... It's, I mean, it's 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 solid. Um, I, I, I think it's kind of... I mean, also, as... As relevant now as I think it was then, in in terms, I mean, like you you compare this to something like Contagion, and it's not really a million miles away. Oh no, 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 not all. It, it it definitely works best when it's being a a procedural um, thriller. Uh, I think more than when it tries to go down the. Um, the people on the run level. Yeah, no, abs- yeah, absolutely. And it, 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 yeah, I mean that's kind of similar between the two as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, yeah, I, it just I, I I like that Romero was trying to do something different. I mean, like he was still kind of staying in genre, but I mean the, the film's not particularly a horror film. I mean they could have gone scary if they wanted to, but this this kind of opts for slightly weirding out instead, I suppose. Yeah. Um, even though I suppose it, it doesn't help that you know which characters are going to are going to go mad and which ones aren't, and pretty much in what order as well. Mm. Oh yeah, it, it, it's it does become a little bit by numbers towards the end. But yeah, but I mean, it's um, yeah. I, I mean, do, do do you have anything more that you actually want to discuss? No, no not with it, other than the fact that it is a, it is a really good film. Yeah, yeah, definitely not shit. Yeah, it's definitely not shit. Yeah, um, it's yeah, very, 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 very solid. Um, I was, I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I, you know, I wasn't thinking I was going to hate it, but I was surprised at just how much I did like it. Mm. So, um, okay, yeah, definitely not shit. So, um, the well, that was the first fight in the George A. Romano Zombies Marathon. Nice. Uh, so that was the crazies, and we shall move on now to. Um, an email from uh, Glenn Chapman. Um, I've got it in front of me, but do you want to read it or 
I've not got it in front of me. Okay, well, I've got it right here. So, um, <laughs> okay, so Glenn says, uh, right, chaps, there's only so long I can listen to you moan about not getting the emails without sending one, so here goes. Um, he's got a bit of um, feedback for us, which is uh, all very lovely. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna skip, skip that because it's. It, I think it would be a bit self-serving to. Yeah, uh, we, we, we don't need, we don't need to, to, uh, to tell you how great we are. You already know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, thank you, though, Glenn. Um, they're, they're, they're very kind words, and they, they are appreciated. appreciated. Yeah. Um, so we'll move on to his discussion point. Uh, my discussion point kind of ties into a topic that was touched on in last week's app, and based on a recent experience of Ian's. Are film fans who flat out refuse to watch films starring a particular actor, actress, or films by a particular director any better than, say, those who refuse to watch films with subtitles? I appreciate that this is an area where the answer is far from cut and dry, and I'm sure we're all guilty of this, or have been in one way or the other, but I'm increasingly finding this area of film snobbery a little annoying. If someone whose opinion you respect likes a film and recommends it, perhaps listen and proceed with an open mind rather than dismiss it outright based on some kind of feeling of superiority. So we'll, we'll address that first and then move on to the, re- the rest of the email. Um, there's not, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, so this, this is referring to, um, uh, someone who I, 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 you know, I won't name because I don't want to like, no, because they're, 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 they're a, they're a good person. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to shit on that person. I mean, I mean, even though that 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 person actually, I was kind of referencing this on Twitter, and that person actually said on Twitter, "Yeah, that's that's me you're talking about," you know, which is, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, fair enough. But I mean, essentially, um, on Letterbox, wrote a review of Pain and Gain, and uh, well, uh, my thoughts on Pain and Gain, and uh, this person basically said, "I can't believe you're giving uh, uh, four and a half stars out of five to Pain and Gain." You know, I I can't imagine watching this and enjoying it basically because it's Michael Bay, because it's The Rock, because it's Mark Wahlberg. Now, I I you know, I wasn't expecting to like Pain and Gain as much as I did. I think a lot of people weren't expecting to like Pain and Gain as much as much as I did. Um, and I mean, I will say, in terms of the not watching a film because it's by a particular, it, it's a particular actor or director. You know how much I hate Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Mud is one of my favourite films of the year. So, you know, that is, I mean, you know, I could joke about and say, you know, I, I, I feel conflicted by that, but I'm not. I mean, Reese Witherspoon is decent in, in Mud. She's she's good in it. I still don't like Reese Witherspoon because I have a completely stupid problem with her, and I don't know what it is, but I don't like her face. Called Burner Ridge. It's not called Boner Rage. I know. Ew. No. My my wife would uh, would shag Reese Witherspoon before I shag Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> Sorry. I'm jealous of your love. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. She heard that. Fair enough. She heard that. Fair, okay. So um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, like I yeah, I I, I don't like Reese Witherspoon, but I would. You know, there are films I would not watch Walk the Line if I didn't watch the film with Reese Witherspoon in it, you know. And, I mean, I, I mean, there are a great many actors. I mean, like Channing Tatum, for instance, say, never used to like his films, would think, oh, fuck me, Channing Tatum, rough. You know, if I, if I based that, if I just wasn't ready to accept a new Channing Tatum experience, you know, I wouldn't watch Magic Mike. I wouldn't watch 21 Jump Street. I'm quite looking forward to White House Down. 
I'm very much looking forward to White House Down. And my feelings on it is there are certain actors and actresses that I, I don't like. Um, a, a prime one um, I cannot abide uh, is Julie Roberts. Can't stand her. Absolutely hate to think she's one of just the most arrogant, overrated, pointless dickheads on the planet. Hate her, right? Now, I will never watch uh, Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, sorry, Christian, I have watched Eat, Pray, Love. Right? But I'll never watch Larry Crow, for instance. Larry Crow. Not Brown. because... Larry Crow, yeah. Uh, Crow, yeah, sorry. Um, not because it's got Drew Robinson, because it looks shit. Right? But I'd never not watch a film that I thought looked okay because it had another, it had an actor in it. For instance, Mirror Mirror, um, she's the main, you know, you could argue she's, you know, Lily Collins and her are the main characters sure. in that. Sure. Um, and I knew that she'd drive me mad in it. But um, I wanted to watch it because I'd like uh, Tannen Sting's previous film. Sure. Uh, I hated Mirror Mirror as a, a, to, to, you know, in the end, but I still watched it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't get why you... You know, if you don't like the look of a movie, that's different. If you just think a movie looks like shit, fine. But I don't understand how you can just pick a director or an actor and say, I don't like their movies. What? That's, it's such a close thing. It's like people, like when people say to me, uh, I don't like horror films. When I say I, I'm a film geek and, I, and they say, oh, what's my films about? And I say, well, my, old, my, my default thing to go is, well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a guy, I like, I like horror films. They are, I don't really like horror films. I'm like, all right, um, do you like Alien? Oh, it's a great film. Yeah, yeah, sure. And it's, it's it's always that thing of you can't say you don't like horror films. It's like saying, like people who say, oh, I do like yeah, guys who go, I like rom coms. Like that's a retarded thing to say. There are some fantastic romantic comedies out there. If you like rom coms, so what? You're going to miss out on when Harry met Sally, one of the a brilliant film because because you don't like the idea of rom coms. It's that kind of thing and. You know, there are. Like I said that there's certain acts that I don't like, but I'd never, I'd never let them ruin the possibility of a movie for me. No movie is shite until you watch it. You can say a movie looks like shit, might be terrible. No movie is shit until you've watched it. Until you can say it's shit. That's why I watched Eat, Pray, Love. I can now say. Eat, Pray, Love is a shit film. And it is a shit film. Yeah. It's a horrible film. It's pointless. It is sickly and arrogant and full of its own self-importance. I can say that because I've watched it. But I would never let any direct... Total Recall. I hate Len Wiseman. He makes shit films. But I liked the idea of a remake of Total Recall. I liked the cast, with the exception of his dumbass wife. Uh, and I watched it, and I went into it looking forward to it, giving mm-hmm. him a chance. Yeah. I was let down horribly by it, but it doesn't mean to say that I won't be dumb enough to watch the next Len Wiseman film. Now, I might be a bad example of this, because I will watch anything. Mm. And I am in a little bit of a way 
um, the Mark Wahlberg, I learned how to fucking dance so I could take the piss out of other people for dancing. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I'm a little bit like that. <laughs> I will watch a film because I, I, I know in the back of my mind I will probably hate it. Because then I can tell to people I hated it. But but then again, there's been films where I've watched them going, I'm going to watch this because I'm going to hate it. And I've watched it and gone, that was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I... I, 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 will, I will thoroughly admit, and I like the idea sometimes. I like going to a film objectively. And I always try and go into a film objectively. But sometimes I go into a film, in my mind, I like, like start every film at sort of five or six. And then it can either get better or it can get worse. But, you know, there's some films where I can't help going in at nine. Not nine, sorry, at eight. Yeah. And there's some films I can't help going in at, at four. But it, there's a great feeling every so often when you go into a film at four and then you come out of it and it's eight and you go, that's brilliant. That should have been shit. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, I mean, I, I can't say I start every film at a five out of ten or whatever. I mean, I mean, it kind of... I, I, I usually, I'll just kind of set... If I am thinking about this during the film, which I don't always... Like I'll set my kind of mark about twenty minutes in, and then just see kind of where it where it goes. But I try not to think about that. I just try to concentrate on 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 the film itself, you know. Mm. Um, but I mean, it's I don't know. I, I just I think there's a difference between um, you know saying I don't want to watch this because because it has this person in, and then but then actively saying to someone else, I can't believe you're giving this this if yeah, i have that, 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 that's a presumption yeah if 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 you if you haven't seen the film i mean it, the thing is the person we're talking about i mean like he he is a genuinely he's a lovely guy and um i i you know i i've i've met him and you know he, he is he's a nice he is a nice guy but i mean it just I mean, the, the thing is, I, 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 if I've ever done that to someone, I mean, you can please feel free to call, call me out on it. It just, it, it was a bit, whoa, bloody hell! All right then, I, I, I you know, if if you if you see the film and you then want to argue the toss, fair enough. But I mean, like in terms of the pain and gain thing, I mean, like, you know, I, I've, I've been coming out quite strongly in in favour of pain and gain over the I last know. last few days, yeah. And you know, we've we've both had people tweeting us, kind of calling us out on it. But I know, frankly, I mean, like. You look at someone like Stuart Barr at Max Ren on Twitter who hated Pain and Gain, wrote a review about why he hated Pain and Gain. A very good and review. Yeah, yeah and it's all right then, fair enough. You know, I, I, and, I, but, and yet, I tweet all this stuff. He's not tweeted back at me. And believe me, Stuart will tweet back at me about fucking anything. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he's, he's letting this one lie. And yet, he has a reason to be very anti-pain and gain because he's seen pain and gain and he is anti-it. I mean, the, the pain and gain thing is... is uh, it, 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 it was um, this... Well, last week's um, Ben Affleck is Batman. It was yeah. the, the big topic and it was... It is very much a, a, a movie where it's it split people down, down the middle. Um, and... You know, you either you we spoke a little bit off air. You get people who either loved it or or hated it, and I think the people who loved it are, are, are 
sticking up for it more than they would do any other movie because the people who disliked it um, are shouting about it so loud that it's causing people around it who I don't even think have seen it to go, yeah, yeah, it's terrible, ah, sure. oh, yeah. yeah. And I had a, a thing on, on, on Friday where uh, I... I had one of those rare moments where something annoyed me and I decided to, to, to kind of put something out there that I thought might get a, a little bit of backlash to. But I thought, you know what, fuck it. Um, it was... Uh, Mark Kermode did his um, little... He did his, his review of it. Uh, and it, it's now labelled a Kermode rant. Um, and everyone finds these amusing and finds them great and everything wonderful like that. And so... But the minute he, he he tweeted the video link to, to this rant, people were retweeting it like crazy because it's this rant. Yeah. And it, 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 it I just, I, I found it very strange. And this isn't a criticism. I said to Matt Cohen, it's not a criticism of him. Um, and it's not a criticism of anybody, actually. Well, actually, it is. Um, but I found it very strange that people found it so great and were championing the fact that somebody didn't like a movie you know fuck man I, I, I thought we were movie lovers I thought some of these people are supposed to love movies and are supposed to you know, be excited and enjoyed by movies and it's now it's now cooler to not like a movie than it is to like a movie and it's now better to to champion somebody Slagging off a movie um, than it is to to champion somebody praising a movie, and it all leads back into this snipey uh, just movement that seems to be this sub movement that seems to be developing within the online film community um, of, of people reveling in in their dislike of something and. Uh, and I hear more about the movies that people don't like than about the movies that people do like. Mm. Look, you know, yes, if you thought a movie was shite, fine. Tell people, tell me you thought it was shite. But then, fuck it, man, get over it. Don't, three months later, when somebody else mentions that they've just watched it and liked it, don't jump on them and go, oh, no, it was shit. Oh, fuck off. Sick of seeing the same yeah, that's, yeah, jumping that. on people every time they say they like a fucking movie. Yeah, that's rough. You know, give it up, man. If you didn't like it, don't let it take up any more of your time. If I see somebody tomorrow or next week or next month or next year saying, oh, I've just watched Kick-Ass and I thought it was fucking great. Fine. They thought it was great, fucking wonderful. All power to them. Great, I'm glad that somebody got something out of that repugnant pile of shit. Brilliant. I'm not going to fucking jump on and go, nah, it's shit. Because it's a bit of a dick move. Yeah, sure. If somebody asks me my opinion and says, I really liked it, what did you think about it? And I hated it, so it was terrible. If it's Keith Lemon movie, yeah. I will jump in at them and say, you're insane, you should go and see a doctor. Um, I, that. But it, it all just seems to feed into this. Um, and, you know, it, Mark Wahlberg's a prime example. If somebody says they don't want to see, you know, that they don't, they don't and I'm not jumping on the person of this, I just, that's what stirred it, and it, that was one of the examples 
uh, of a person that they gave for why uh, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't watch a movie with Mark Wahlberg. Fuck, man. I mean, I can see some actors, but Mark Wahlberg made some cracking movies recently. Yeah. That's like, that, so, so you're not going to see The Departed or The Fighter. True that. Fucking right. You know, Shooter. Shooter's an incredible movie. Mm. The type of movie. It's an incredible action movie. Um, yes, he's made some some shite movies, but, you know, if there's people you're going to not like, there's a lot, there's a lot worse people out there. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, it just... It, it, I don't think it's as bad as people saying that they won't watch a film um, because it's got subtitles. To answer that 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 point of that question, if somebody says to me, oh, "I won't watch it," why? Oh, it's got subtitles. Uh, my brain immediately goes, "I oh, see so you're not smart enough to to look at something and read at the same time." <laughs> That's a bad point. Yeah. You know, so so if if you pick up cereal. Do you either have to judge it based on the name or the picture? You can't judge it based on both. So you go, Crunch Nut Cornflakes. Oh, fuck, I wonder what they look like. Oh, well, they, 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 they look like they've got bits of nuts on them. Fuck, I wonder what these are. Blimey. That, that is it. People who say that, right, are the same people who need pictures on their menus. It's the same people who would look at something and go, "Ah, oh, so this 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 pizza's got it's got pepper on it, it's got onions, um, and it's got peppers on it." Ah, oh, fuck! If only I could see a picture of it, and then I could decide if I like it or not. It's those people. Glenn's other question. Well, it's Glenn's question. Bloody hell, fair play first. Um, if Warners slash DC cast the actors Marvel have recently in key roles, do you think the reaction from fans and press would be as positive? Noticing Marvel can do no wrong, whereas DC can do no right at the moment. No. Um, uh, people, there are more people that champion Marvel than there are that champion DC, because Marvel, DC essentially have to rely on a couple of characters Marvel have a wider sphere that they can filmically, that they can look at. You've got the X-Men. You've got now you've got Thor, Hulk, um, Iron Man. Who else have you got? There's so many more characters. Whereas essentially, with DC you're relying more heavily on two. Batman, Superman. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. The thing I think DC um, kind of suffer from is the fact that they're kind of following as opposed to leading. They're they're obviously trying to ape the Marvel template of doing now things. Now are, yeah, certainly. But I, I think, you know, to an extent, um, I think now they are with, with the way that they're trying to do, you know, they're, they're pushing towards a Justice League movie. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, like they were planning on doing that a couple of years back, and like Green Lantern was going to be like the the first kind of building block, and then that fucked up. I mean, it just the the thing with the thing that I think Marvel are, are getting right is the fact that they've got a very very strong producer in Kevin Feige. I mean, he he knows what he's doing. He's very he's very attentive to everything, and I mean, he's more an auteur than anybody else on these films, and yet, Thor kind of did feel like a Kenneth Branagh film, 
Captain America felt like a Joe Johnston film. Iron Man 3 felt like a Shane Black film. Oh, without question. Yeah. And, and Guardians of the Galaxy sounds like, from some of the shit that they're coming out with so far, sounds like it's going to feel like a James Gunn film, which I, is I, mind-blowing. I think that they're, they're very trusting in the fact that they give, they give enough creative control uh, over things... Um, to make it feel like it's that director's property. They obviously have stipulations within that that you've got to do X, Y, and Z, but they also give it enough... They give enough over to, to the to the directors. And as well, they have been quite lucky with their casting. They've been quite... You know, not, no, lucky would be unfair to them. They've been very canny and very savvy with their casting. They've cast very well. I, I can't think of of a single real miscast that they've, they've had of, of this wave of Marvel um, films. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think Iron Man 2 was a big turning point for them because they tried doing all the fan nod stuff and basically setting up a load of characters and trying to do it all in one film and then found that they couldn't because it didn't make the individual film any better for it. I mean, like the middle third of Iron Man Two is basically a, a like a prologue for the Avengers. Mm. Like it's it's embarrassing how much that is, and I don't hate Iron Man Two. I don't. No, I don't. Um, yeah. But I, I, mean, actually, I actually prefer Iron Man Two to Iron Man. Well, uh, I wouldn't go that far myself. I, but I, I, have, I have a lot of issues with Iron Man actually at the, the, the movie, but I, and I much prefer two and obviously three. Yeah, I mean, I, I prefer three over over even them. I agree with that, but I don't know. It just it seems like they've got a sure hand. Whereas with with uh, with DC, I mean, it was kind of like, is Chris Nolan going to be the Godfather of all of these films? No, he's not, and now he's, no, he's not, not even. He's he... one. But but then again, uh, I, I can't. Uh, yes, um, Man of Steel wasn't as well received as people would have liked. There was a lot of bandwagon jumping on that film. We both quite liked it, but. Essentially, if we're going to go on the modern waves, which we, we have to, because you have to take it of this generation's DC movies and this generation's Marvel movies, um, you know, really, you, you know, you've got Queen Lantern was, was you know, it, it, it was a horror show, it was a stinker, um, but you know, we're still waiting for the next, um, you know, there's been no Flash movie. Um, the Batman movie, the Dark Knight movies were all great. I, I, I don't think you could call Man of Steel an absolute stinker. Um, I think people are just... I, I think people have been a little bit harsh with the, 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 the DC criticism. I mean, the fact that the next Superman movie is getting so much bad press and, and they haven't even started fucking making it yet. Yeah, yeah. I, it's... it's I don't know, I mean, like, the Ben Affleck thing. I mean, that that's a very considered move. I think they're realising that in the end of the day, you I'm know, off. pissing off. off the hardcore comic fans versus gaining the interest of a shitload of people who aren't that interested in films but will watch Ben Affleck in a superhero film at this point. You Marvel, know, they've done the sums. Marvel also haven't had to recast yet, which is a very big... Mm. A very big point and a very big thing, because essentially the the anger that's come from that is it, it is essentially it's a new Batman, and this generation's Batman was Christian Bale, yeah, yeah, uh, was yeah. Chris Nolan. So 
maybe you know the, the question there is what happens when you know they have to recast or they do recast Hugh Jackman, who comes in as Wolverine, or if if Robert Downey Jr. decides you know that that's it for him, you know the next Avengers movie is will be the last time he's Tony Stark, and then they have to recast that. That's the, the the kind of the acid test for, for for Marvel of how do we deal with that? Do we deal with it, and how do we deal with it? It's just it's so far down the line though that it, it, I mean, it, Christ, it's years. And apparently, uh, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth over the last couple of weeks kind of re like re-signed their deals for Avengers two and three as well, I believe. And I can't I can't see um, Downey Jr. stepping away because essentially, let's be honest, Robert Downey Jr. now has gone a little bit Gary Busey, Buddy Holly. He kind of seems to think that he is Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the fact that he now is dressing the same way as Tony Stark, he keeps the beard the same as Tony Stark, even when he's not Tony Stark. He's gone a little bit like like that. Maybe Tony Stark, there's there's, there's more of his personality of Gary Jr. in Tony Stark than, than than we like to think. Maybe the fact that it is more that. And he was like that before, and we're only just noticing it now. Absolutely right. Possibility. Um, but, you know, I, I can't see him stepping away from it, because he seems to like it, very much in the same way that Hugh Jackman seems to like it. And why should they step away from it if they like it? You know, there's no, there's more physicality with Hugh Jackman and, and Wolverine than there is with um, Robert Downey Jr. You can put, you know, the, the suit is a suit. There's a physicality in the role, but there's not as much of a physicality as there is for Hugh Jackman. He has to, you have to have the, he has to look like that. Whereas there's not, there's not that within the character of Tony Stark. Mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, that's that's true. I mean, like Tony Stark, in the end of the day, I mean, like, I mean, it kind of looks like Avengers Two is basically going to be like Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark and not really as Iron Man. It, it, it look, it kind of looks like he's going to be the creator of Ultron, uh, which will be an interesting move, and it just allows him to be Tony Stark in Avengers Three. Yes, that's an incredibly interesting piece of casting. Oh, oh, Spader, Jesus Christ! Yes. Uh, I'm mindful of the fact we're pushing three hours, but um, yeah, wait, in, in terms of runtime at the total show, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, Spader's a crazy bit of casting. Mm. Um, An incredibly inspired because I can't see him at all in that role, and that's what I like because I can't see him in that role. But I love James Spader as an actor, yeah. so I absolutely think he can fucking pull some out of the bag with that. Totally, absolutely. Um, let, let's move on though, because I'm just mindful of the fact people are probably thinking, "I wish they'd hurry the fuck up." Yeah. Uh, so uh, questions at Nocturne Tom DJ uh, with a question I, I think we might have had before, but I'll give answers. Uh, which pro- film project that fell through do you most wish happened? Uh, two. Uh, the Paul Verhoeven Arnold Schwarzenegger Crusades movie and yeah. uh, Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon. Um, I think last time I think we had a very similar with which screenplay would you like? I think. Oh, okay, time. fair enough. Which mine was the uh, Nick Cave Gladiator uh, one. Um, the film that I wish had been made that hasn't been made. Uh, Pink film. Uh, the Oliver Stone um, taking on the uh, My Lai massacre. Um, Blimey. That happened in Vietnam. 
uh, that was going to happen uh, a few years ago, um, and then um, Stone kind of said he was he was told by men in suits, don't even think about it. Wow. Okay. Uh, and for once, Stone said, "I'm too old to live in exile for another five years." <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, bloody Stone. Um, I, could, I still could see him at some point going one day waking up and going, "Fuck it, doing it." <laughs> he probably yeah, when he's like eighty-five and just yeah. really, really coked out still. Um, right at PDX Creep, what are your thoughts on the announcement that they've cancelled the remake of Suspiria? Um, I, I, to be honest, I was kind of intrigued to see what David Gordon Green would do with it, but I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, I, I think we're both the same. Neither is a remake haters uh, at all. Uh, intrigued to see what somebody could do with a Argento remake. To be honest, because it's not really. I don't think we've had one of we. Tell you what, Tenebrae directed by Brian De Palma. I'd watch the fuck out of that. I, I would. Fifteen years ago. I don't, well, yeah, all right. Um, and uh, last question. In fact, not even 15 years ago. 20 years. No, 30 years ago. Oh, bloody hell. Well, I don't know. 25 years ago is The Untouchables. About that. Um, right, at Very Cinematic, last question before I um, keel over. Uh, which premiership footballer could have had a career as a Hollywood actor and which roles would you pitch him for? If we're not talking... Yeah, fucking right. Um, if we're talking seriously, um, um, does it have to be Premier League? Edgar Davids is the Predator. Oh, I like that one. Did he, yeah, he did play the Premier League player for Tottenham, didn't he? Of course he did. Um, um, oh, that's a tough one. Um, uh, I, 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 I could have seen um, Thierry Henry having a career in, in kind of romantic comedies playing the kind of you know the suave one-liner bastard yeah, he seems to have that kind, that kind of charisma to him um, so yeah I, 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 I'd go for that of overall footballers ever not just Premier League um I, I would I would say um, Graham Souness could have played a great army general. Oh, fair just, play! Just because he because just because he is an incredibly intense man, yeah. and he has a great stare. That's pretty solid. That um, I got nothing. I got nothing. I, th- I think your Edgar Davids predator one was pretty was pretty fucking uh, uh, stellar. I'll just stick with that. I'll just stick with that. Okay, so um, that is it for episode number 33 of Dude and a Monkey. Um, I I, I was kind of rushing it towards the end there, but just because um, I I think my wife would quite like to see me at some point this evening. And uh, also... I I don't want to see me. She's actually left. She's gone off now. Nice. And... um, (laughs) Yeah, nice. And um, yeah, we are nearing three hours. So we'll be back next week. Uh, review will be Reddick. Uh, we'll be taking in for the George A. Romero No Zombie Marathon. We'll be taking in Martin, uh, which I'm really looking forward to, actually. Um, not seen. Um, I th- I, the thing is, I don't know whether I have or not, because I s- kind of swear I have, but I can't remember anything about it. Just to make sure, which version we're watching? Uh, don't the know. normal version, I'm guessing. 
I, what, what's the, the other the version? The Italian cut version of it, I think. Uh, we'll just watch the normal version. Cool. Okay, cool. And um, even I, I think I have seen it, but... Because, yeah, no, do you know what? I swear I have, actually, because it's... Um, he, like, lives with someone. He tries to, like, convince him that he is a vampire, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm, I'm staring right now at a Martin poster. Yeah, I... I've got, I, I've got on my bedroom wall. Oh, nice, bloody hell. Okay. My bedroom wall posters are Martin, Two Evil Eyes, Sleepless, um, Stendhal Syndrome, and The Birds. They're the posters I have up in my bedroom. Because your wife is insane. Good for her. <laughs> she put them up. Very nice. Who's her to put them up? <laughs> yeah, above my bed. At the side, I've got a big Buddha head above our bed, and then at either side of it is Stendhal Syndrome and Sleepless. Wow. <laughs> yep. Okay, well, fucking fair play. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's it. Do the monkey gmail.com, at Ian Loring, at DudeWaz, at Do the Monkey. Mark, anything? Uh, thank you very much for listening, uh, everybody. Um, and. Uh, we hope we kept you entertained for this near three hours. Oh, blimey, Charlie. Good night. Night.